Andrew. Hey, Michael. It's summertime. I think it's the dog days of summer. It's August. Yeah, we're hitting this a little bit late, but, you know, it's beautiful outside. The weather's fantastic. And the best thing you can do in weather like this is sit inside and watch movies. Yeah, summer movies. Here, yesterday, it was 113. Holy moly. Yeah. Really? Yes. It was like 68 degrees here yesterday. Oh, you see, you're in the nice, pleasant area of the world. I'm in tropical, really humid, and sun beating down on you hot Texas. The kind where if you sit on anything vinyl, your legs are stuck to it. Yeah. We had a truck and it had one of those vinyl benches. And I remember Indiana, like, just peeling my thighs off the seat. Yeah, uh, my wife and I, when we just hang out, we can hardly touch each other because the whole um, skin-to-skin contact is like leather. Yeah. Her arm will barely touch my elbow or something, and I'm like, get off of me! And vice versa. <laughs> do you not have air conditioning? Oh, we do, but our room doesn't. Oh, thank goodness. really have good air conditioning, though, so. Ah, that's too bad. Yeah, I live on the coast, so the summers are wonderful here. The winters are really wet, but, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta take one yeah. or the other, you know? I, I like wonderful, <laughs> but I like wet weather, too, so. Yes, but growing up in Indiana, the summers would get insanely humid around this time of year. And instead of playing outside, I would basically just sit back and watch whatever was on TV. My friends thought I was weird, but I'm like, you guys have fun passing out from the heat and getting sunburned. I'm going to stay inside and enjoy HBO. So, um, 87 seems to be a good year for summer movies. Yeah, I remember that summer very particularly because that was the year that we really started going to the movies a lot because of the heat. It was usually like maybe a handful of movies is what we would see a year. But in 1987, we started going to the drive-in like crazy. And I went to a double feature of Back to the Beach and Summer School, both Paramount movies, Summer of 87. Oh, really? Yeah, so I went and saw those. And uh, that's why I wanted to start off with these two movies is because, uh, of course, Back to the Beach was first because it was the PG, the the full-on family movie. Uh, Summer yeah. School was a little bit a little bit darker, a little bit more mature, especially the whole gore scene. But, uh, you know, yeah. it, it was PG-13. But my parents were kind of like, I don't want to say they were the cool parents because sometimes when you reflect back on it, you're like, were they irresponsible parents for letting me watch Conan the Barbarian at six? <laughs> <laughs> You know, so they saw no issue with summer school. And I remember about six months later, it came out on the video shelves and uh, we were at the grocery store. Remember when grocery stores used to have their own little video centers? Yeah. I was with my grandparents and they're like, what movie do you want to see? And I was like, oh, summer school. You know what we need? We need a woman to appreciate what we have to offer. Freddie Shoup loves to cut class, hates to do homework, lives for summer vacation. And the only reason he hasn't been expelled yet is because he's the gym teacher at Oceanfront High. Congratulations, you've been chosen to teach summer school. No, I'm not a real teacher. That's all right, these aren't real students. They're unmotivated, irresponsible, not too bright. They'll relate to you. There's a very valid reason for summer vacation. The human brain needs rest. I know you guys aren't exactly fired up about English. We're stuck here. We're trapped like rats. Ow! Tension breaker had to be done. Mark Harp, Kirstie Allen, in the Oceanfront High Summer School Class of 87. They're as smart as you and me. You and I. All of us. Paramount Pictures presents a new film by Carl Reiner, Summer School. I love this film. It had passion, plucky spirit. Dave, I agree with you. Thumbs up from me. Same here. To sum it up, I'm Chainsaw. I'm Dave. We'll see you at the movies. They're like, it's PG-13. I don't know. I think I was 11 at the time. And they were like, I don't know about this. I was like, oh, I just asked mom. She'll say it's fine. She called her and I was like, okay, it's okay. And uh, we're watching it. And then the scene where there's an insane amount of gore. I mean, it's a joke, but it's still insane. My grandmother just got right up and stopped. (laughs) No, was that (laughs) before or after the uh, Chippendales dancer scene? 
Oh, uh, you know what? I think it was... Wow, you know what? I think yeah, the Trippendale so... scene was before the gore scene, which right? is weird that they didn't stop it at there's, that. There's a guy in a but it wasn't being dancing around or a thong or even dancing around. So that was my point in asking that question. I think it was before as well. I remember that my family was a little bit more okay with nudity than they were with gore. I wasn't allowed to watch hmm. horror movies until 14 or 15. Well, but that's you know, the perfect we, we, age <laughs> right there yeah, for and, horror uh, movies. And then, we, you know, we would watch Revenge of the Nerds. You know, during some stuff, they'd be like, oh, look away, whatever, but I'd still hear it. But after a while, it just like, well, it's just the human body. My, my parents weren't too hung up when it came to the sex because it seemed right. more healthy than people getting their Mine heads hacked off. Mine were very conscious about the human body used sexually for entertainment in movies and stuff. But I grew up in Europe where there were statues of naked things all the time. So when that stuff in movies showed up, it, was, it wasn't so shocking to me. I was just like, why is everybody so... So oogly googly at boobs. What's the big deal? Right, right. We uh, we're a little pent up with the sexual stuff, but uh, you know, on TV you'll watch people getting dissected and chopped in half and their faces eaten off, and no one has a problem. But if you see a nipple, hold on, hold on, let's right. see some people. It's, it's really backwards, but um, that's actually kind of part of the comment of that scene in that movie, anyway. Summer school is about summer school. I went to summer school a bunch, two or three years in a row, because I'm an idiot academically. Um, really, I went to summer so, school to add extra credits. I just wanted extra credits to make sure that everything was safe, even though my grades were fine. I was always like a little paranoid. It's like, hey, let's just get an extra credit in here. I went to, to summer school sure. because uh, I went to a public school that didn't teach me anything. They just let us watch Gremlins and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Gremlins and Police Academy 2. Oh, there's boobies I know. in Police Academy 2. I, remember I know. That. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. brief and stupid. It's a very dumb scene. But yeah, and I remember all the kids going, ooh, all the boys, because the girls were off having their birds and bees class while the boys ah. get Police Academy 2. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like, you need sense. to teach the boys the responsible stuff too, not Police Academy 2. Anyway. Or Gremlins. Yeah. I mean, Gremlins isn't going to teach you any life skills except, you know, don't feed them after midnight. Don't get. What is that about? And, uh, what is that a metaphor for? <laughs> like, there's none. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it means it stands yeah, for puberty, sure. don't kids. Yeah, sure. Don't eat after midnight or you'll... What? That's code for something. <laughs> <laughs> I went to summer school because my school didn't really teach me very well. And I learned very differently than other people do. I learned by real hands-on. And I have my own pace. It's different. So I can't do standardized learning, which is unfortunate. Because I went to private school and I had to go to summer school to get in. And then the second year I had to go to summer school just to get into the next grade. I relate to this movie because of that. Summer school. But... Yeah, the weird thing is, for me with summer school, I was one of two kids that volunteered to be in it. It was a history class, and I was taking advanced history, and so was this other girl. But 95% of the rest of the class were kids who could not even get through the most basic history hmm. class. It was very strange because most of the day the teacher didn't do anything, and all the guys would just sit there and have sex conversations. No. And I'm trying to study, and I'm just like, ah, I, I kind of want to listen because I'm a teenage boy. But at the same time, i got to pass this class. Yeah, mine were math. math based. So. Hey, oh, no, the creatives, try to make us do math. We'll not do it very well. Summer <laughs> school, I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I mean, it's not from the beginning. It's it's now because I'm old. When I watched it every summer, I'm not there in that state of mind anymore. So now, if my wife puts it on, which she did this summer, she laughed somewhat maniacally at me because I was like, "Summer school, ugh." It's like watching Edward Scissorhands again. Though I did that this year fondly because I finally gave into nostalgia. I reject nostalgia most of the time, so that's why when I watch Summer School or when it's on, I'm like, "Summer." school. 
school, and I don't necessarily like those lonely summer feelings. Yeah, nostalgia is tricky because you think you hold something up on a pedestal because it makes you so happy because it made you happy as a kid, and you go revisit it and you're like, oh, either you realize that it's now terrible, or you start having like this depression because, oh my god, how many years have gone by? Oh, what have I done? Oh no, that's not what I mean by old. (laughs) No, I just mean by the one. It's not that great of a movie, really. There are really Ugh. key elements that are really good, but then there are like there's such a big cast of all these kids that need help that I wish they could have just cut some of those kids out and focused. There are on... a lot of kids. There are so many. Yeah, kids yeah, that and it's it's not like a stand and deliver sort of movie where it's a raucous um, call to education reform or anything. It's a goofy comedy by Carl Reiner. So I don't know. The horror thing seems cliche now. There's horror guys, but those horror guys, I think, is where every other horror guy from that point on cut their cloth from. Yeah, you know, what's funny is uh, I was talking to Dean Cameron about this a couple years ago. Is you know that is his signature role is yeah. chainsaw. But he's done a bunch of stuff since then. Not big stuff, but he's done a lot of performances. But for some reason, people can't even just call him Dean. Everybody brings up Chainsaw. Chainsaw. Every time he even has a serious thing. That no, Rockula. It's Rockula it's for me. Like, uh, Rockula. What's that? Well, yeah, Rockula, Bad Dreams. Uh, of course, the ski school right. movies. Uh, he did good TV work. But he, he's just a working actor. You know, he has to go out there and he has to audition. He's trying to get, you know, more work. Actually, he has a movie coming huh. out next week. I don't think he has a big part in it, but he's, he's in that, uh, with that, the NWA. Oh, really? Straight called? out of Compton, yeah. Yeah, straight out of Compton. So he's still working quite a bit. And I was asking him about this, and I was like, dude, does it get on your nerves that people still call you Chainsaw all the time? And he goes, it's just part of the deal. If you want to be uh, in the business, people are going to hook a certain character onto you and just call you that all the time. And I was like, man, that would just drive Yeah, I really off. like his, his performance style. He's great. But I really think that all the horror geeks, horror nerds, gore hounds whatever emulate those two characters too much definitely definitely trend setting character but at the same time when you meet those people in real life they kind of get on your nerves like you're just like could you stop already just act like a normal person also don't wear such a large shirt just don't <laughs> they're always wearing double x shirts or something yeah not, e- not even the obese guys the just regular sized guys giant huge black shirts with gore pictures on them alright so summer school uh, that's the one I think on this list that I, I appreciate the most really but a lot of it is nostalgia I heard that Adam Sandler is going to uh, remake this movie uh why i i don't know because everybody does remakes and he's no no no, ideas, no but he's why desperate. him you know he's I gonna start doing can, sequels i think you can absolutely remake it because it's not a great movie it's no no you no. have nostalgia hooks in it and that's absolutely fine but it's not a great movie so those are the ones you want to remake but adam sandler yeah i didn't see that uh maybe he'll just produce it because obviously people are starting to get tired of him in an acting role but you know he could move over to just being a producer and get other actors who would be uh enjoyable in that role if you don't want to go big budget i would say maybe josh duhamel you know he's got a pleasant demeanor and yeah uh, he's but like a mark Harmon. but adam sandler's productions happy madison the problem is on the script level absolutely every time yeah that's right you have a huge problem i have a problem with the fact that he'll start going in one direction and it has a vision and then all of a sudden he'll stop and then throw in some doo-doo joke or mm-hmm. some, you know some ridiculous baby joke almost and then go back to normal yeah. you're like whoa wait what you can't just dead stop and uh, do this joke and then keep the the blasted adam before. sandler's derailing this podcast <laughs> okay so let's let's get away from adam sandler fast all right back to the beach uh, back to the beach 
25 years ago, my parents were the most popular teenagers in America. It's true. My dad was a teen idol. Girls threw themselves at him. Unfortunately, this was 1962, and he had to throw them back. When Dad wasn't singing, he spent his life on a surfboard. They called him the Big Kahuna. When I was born, Dad wanted to call me Little Kahuna. Luckily, he settled for Bobby. As for Mom, she joined that strange cult called the Mouseketeer. She became the first pinup queen for boys under 12. Anyhow, they got married and moved to Ohio right after the accident. Around our house, we had this nightly ritual. It's called dinner, and then the accident. In its story. Let me spare you this. 20 years ago while surfing, this humongous wave knocked the kahuna right out of dead, and he's never been the same since. I like Back to the Beach. I, I, I had the soundtrack, actually. I only had the soundtrack, and I didn't watch the movie until much later in life. And I like How it. How did you end up with um, the soundtrack? And I don't not know, see parents the movie? or something. It's it's harmless. Here's the soundtrack. Huh. It's fun. I think my mom, maybe, somehow. And I was like, what's... Oh, okay. And it has some incredibly dorky 80s recording style. And there are some remakes or, or re-recorded covers of some old songs. Bird, bird, bird. On that. Bird is a word. It's a bird, bird, bird. Is that one's fine, bird. actually. But it's other Otherwise, songs. Otherwise, sing it like that. Other... Bird, bird, bird. Bird is and a actually, bird. Actually, that's <laughs> the first time I ever heard ska music. Yes, me too. Uh, and in fact, it's a little bit over the head. It's like, oh yeah, really? Uh, you're just going to keep saying ska, ska, ska over and over? Oh right, no, that I'll tell you, that's a cover. That's a real song. Yes. Really? From the 60s, Blue Beat era of ska. The style of ska music that was there before the two-tone ska, the real roots stuff. That's a song yeah. from then. And Annette Funicello did a cover of it with Fishbone. And I didn't so, realize that that was... I had also heard Party at Ground Zero, but I didn't know that was the same band. I didn't know that that was Ska. But, like, the first time I ever really heard Ska was Ska, Ska, Ska. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. yeah it's a I different love... feel. Uh, I would be, like, six years later when I actually heard Someday I Suppose by Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, which and really brought totally, in the new school of Ska. That's and third that's wave. Really third wave is it. totally different than any of the other stuff. This movie, right, right. summer school, you had just a 80s summer movie. Everything was 80s. Uh, somebody mentioned this to me last week. Every movie that was made in the 80s is about the 80s. <laughs> so, kind of. It's, it, it seems to be stuck in its era. Except this is a weird movie because it's not only an 80s movie, but it also reflects on yeah, the 60s. Yeah, but it doesn't do anything in the style of the 60s except for the blue screen. Surfing. Oh, no, I was thinking the fact that it's nostalgic. Like, you'll see, there's tons of cameos. You'll see Le- Le- uh, Leave it to Beaver. Oh, I'm just talking about how the, how it's filmed. I know cameos. There's oh, okay. kind of mise-en-scene that you get with the Beach Blanket Bingo movies. And all those in the 60s, even the Elvis movie, they all have this certain type of look, uh, like Blue Hawaii. Very specific look. And then this movie is just like, it's an 80s movie. And then pop up all the old cast members from all the old beach movies, which was fun. But I didn't, because I'm not my parents or my parents age I'm not a boomer it didn't resonate with me like that Oh, it did for me. At this point, my parents had discovered Nick at Night, and then that's when they started showing us. We were watching Brady Bunch. We were watching Gilligan's Island, Laughing, yeah. Gillis, you know, all these shows that were on Nick at Night. And right. uh, I knew who all these people were by that time, and that the movie had so much more value than I think a lot of the other kids from my generation who had been exposed right. to the Right. The one shows. guy that did resonate really well with me was our little Guido from Radioactive Dreams. That oh, little yeah, punk brother. Yeah, the $2 kid. Yeah. Well, telling the movie from his perspective is what makes it exactly, and it's his performance is really, really hilarious to this day. Nostalgia be damned! It's so funny. I don't know what he's done since, but that's his role. 
Yeah, he walked away for a while. I know he did a TV show right after this movie with Matthew Perry. Uh, yeah, the songs in this movie are great. There's a song at the very end, and I will always remember the fact that the kid comes in at the end and goes, and again, and again. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. Lie. If someone says again, in my head, I'm always going, and again, Basically, and again. the movie is uh, the family in the 80s of Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon go to California, and they end up... Oh, to go visit the daughter, Lori Laughlin. Yeah, Lori Laughlin's getting... And she's not quite getting married, but she knows that her parents aren't going to be cool with her dude because the dude's a surfer, and they used to... They now look down upon their past, and Frankie is, uh, what, a used car salesman or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like... With the hair helmet, man. That hair helmet is astounding. Yeah, and he's, he's kind of the sleazy type but he's like sleazy without being perverse right but then old past loves come into the picture and all this stuff and then suddenly there's big beach party for no real good reason and peewee shows up and he flies off on a surfboard it's weird <laughs> it gets perfectly weird strange yeah it's it's almost a parody a spoof of yeah. the movies they did before so when it comes to spoof yeah sure it uh, it, like it's not a spoof in in style it's a spoof in concept so it doesn't really look like those right. old movies. And it's a shame because it would be awesome if it did look like those old movies. If they stepped out of the 80s into the old movie look, it would be really great. Yeah, it's got some... I just don't think that was kind of a... Th I don't think that was a thing back then. Like, yeah. people do that now. For, like, yeah. the last decade, they've been finding film processes that make it look like it's a 70s well, movie. Well, they did do it on TV with amazing stories. Stuff like that, they did. Yeah. They, but it would be like okay. a black and white thing that they walk into. So that's easy to do. Yeah, but you can see Paramount, uh, Frank Mancuso specifically was trying to take this concept and make it appealing to kids and it's hard for them to understand why does this movie look so weird they don't have that concept they want these to all look the same yeah so i really enjoy it it has a stupid wrapped up in a nice little bow happy ending which is just fine some movies deserve it and this one does and it's our fondest annette Funicello movie but you you should have at yeah. least seen one of the other ones or at least be very aware yeah of it helps understanding the, yeah. the cliches yeah exactly so yeah that's a good one I mostly have fondness for nostalgia-wise for the soundtrack. And speaking of surfing, our next movie is Point Break. On the coast of Southern California, you can only surf, party, and make love for so long before it's time to go to work. Rock and roll! 27 banks in three years. Everybody's Anything to catch the perfect wave. I'm not a crook. Patrick Swayze. Fear causes hesitation. And hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. Keanu Reeves. And you think I joined the FBI to learn to surf? Point break. Adios, amigo! It's actually getting remade this year. Or it is yeah, it's, remade. It's, it's, it's already, yeah, it's going to be released in December, which is just an odd time to do Doesn't that. Doesn't seem like the right time at all. It's like, where do we have a hole no. in our schedule? Well, just put that there. It should be spring break or something. It shouldn't be December. It's a tent pole for some reason, and the cast, I'm not going to poo-poo them, but they're not known, they're not known for, for anything. I don't know who the hell any of them are. I, I forget the guy who's playing uh, Bodie. Uh, Edgar Ramirez, a, I think is his name. Edgar Ramirez, yes. I've seen him in plenty of things, but, but uh, he's not known for being... He's known for being... Well, it was supposed ensemble. to be uh, Butler. What's his name? Uh, Gerard Butler. Gerard. Yeah, and then he pulled out. So there, there's your name recognition. But the title of the movie alone is what they're banking on, and that's not a wise no, no, thing. No. 
I saw the trailer and I thought the trailer's adequate, pretty yeah. good. But I, I like Keanu Reeves very much. There's a certain charisma that he has, and I do not care for the people who think that he's a dull piece of wood actor because he isn't. You haven't seen many Keanu Reeves movies. Right, right. Well, that. I think it's post-speed is when he started to coast. And uh, there was a while there where his roles did seem kind of similar. And uh, But before uh, well, Speed, he was seen... all over the place. Yeah, have you seen, though, um, no, Minnesota? He has some kind of grimy roles here and there. He's got some blood right. in his teeth, you know? And people don't see those movies. This is not one of those movies. This is... You know, it's funny. I am I remember, an FBI uh, agent. I was watching promotions for Speed, and they're like, it's his first action movie. I was like, that's bull. I know for a fact that Point Break is an action movie, and that was three years ago. You couldn't have forgotten that already. This movie was a hit. Yeah, well, it was a sleeper hit. I don't think they believed no, in no, it. No, no, not Which one, Speed or uh, Point yeah, Break? Yeah, no, no, Speed they believed in, but Point Break, I don't think they... I think that came up sneaky. I think it I was think... already in production by the time Ghost had come out. And, and Patrick uh, Swayze Yeah, that's hot. why it got a push. Yeah, and Keanu Reeves was just like, who's this kid? The Bill and Ted. But Catherine Bigelow what? obviously saw something in him, knew that he could pull the performance off, and she is never a director that has gone wrong, in my opinion. Widowmaker is boring, you know, K-19 The Widowmaker, but it's not a bad movie. She has never made anything right, that's but... like, oh, that's not a good choice. Yeah, you can make a boring movie, but it doesn't mean the boring movie is a bad movie. It just right. means that it takes, it takes a different type of mindset to watch it. But not all boring movies are good either. So, point break, though, if you didn't know, some surfers are going around funding their surfer exploits by robbing banks. That's not a mystery. I mean, in fact, nothing about this is a mystery. Everything's revealed in the trailer and all that. Keanu Reeves is an ex-college football star. Blew out his knee or something, so he went into the FBI, because that's a logical leap. His name's Johnny Utah. So he gets in with the surfer gang undercover of course falls in love with one of the chicks on the crew Lori Petty and becomes best friends with the leader of the gang gets roped into their schemes has to stop them and if you've seen Fast and Furious the first one you've seen this movie yeah, I don't know why someone either. asked me if I had seen Fast and Furious I was like oh yeah I saw it a long time ago when it was called Point Break yeah, I don't know why they're trying to remake Point Break by the name, because they've already done it with Fast and Furious and turned it into a multi-million dollar, billion dollar franchise. But I digress. The movie is great. If you've seen Hot Fuzz, you'll understand the affection Edgar Wright has right. for Right. Is this movie. the first movie to have a parkour-style chase sequence? Maybe? Maybe not. Could, I don't know. Could, about the, what about those skater movies? Oh, what? Claiming the Cube? Like those types of things. I don't know. I mean, sure. the rules of parkour is you got to get from point A to point B and go through anything or over anything that's in your way. And they're running through well, houses. Wait a minute. No. It's not Point Break. It's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's the first parkour about- movie. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I think maybe Jackie Chan movies have done the parkour thing before it yeah, was called parkour. Yeah, that's right. In this in movie, the there's one sequence in this movie that to this day terrifies the hell out of me. I still don't know how they filmed it. Uh, it could be forced perspective, but I don't see it. Is when they're trying to shove Johnny Utah's face into the lawnmower. Yeah, it's forced perspective. Is it? Because um, it doesn't look like it, your normal forced perspective. Well, it's shot. also it's also foam rubber blades, stuff like that. It's most likely not as close as it looks. Okay, it just <laughs> so, it, so, to this day it just terrifies me. There's two things that terrify me: heights in movies. So if you see someone climbing a big building, I'm ready to throw up and I'm starting to sweat. And uh, rotating uh, blades. By the way, I should mention this is my moron moment in my life. Is uh, I was cleaning the vacuum cleaner. There was a bunch of dog hair caught in one of the pipes, and I thought I had unplugged the vacuum, and it was kind of just hanging there and as i flipped it over to get in there further it turned on and the brushes on 
on a sweeper at that speed worked just like a blade, and you've seen the photos. They started ripping yeah. layer after layer after layer out of my hand, and I was in so much pain, and I was panicking that I didn't think just to flip it back over and turn it off. All I was thinking was get my fingers out of there, and it was probably only and... about four seconds at most, but it felt like forever, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's been days I'm in agony. Yeah. So yeah, blades and heights scare the crap out of me. Water, deep water scares me too. Point Break got me really interested in surfing, which is weird for a kid yeah. from Indiana. Because of this movie, somehow it led me to renting Endless Summer 2. Have you ever seen that? Oh. No, I haven't not seen either of those and I've been interested, but I did see North Shore, well, which Oh, North Shore is great. It could be it could be on this list, but it's not. We, have, we yeah, don't it's, have room. It's, but it's great from a check surfing it out. perspective, the plot not so much. You got a duck die. The summer movies. Anyway. The first one I find incredibly boring. I know it was groundbreaking at the time, but it doesn't hold up for me. I went yeah. and rented Endless Summer 2, and I ended up renting like three more times until I saw it was for sale. This is back in the day when it was hard to find movies for sale. You always had to get a used one or it had yeah. to be a big, yeah. uh, big title for the stores to carry. So I bought a used copy of Endless Summer 2. Right, yeah. twenty nine dollars. Uh, I bought it for like uh, I think like twelve bucks or something like yeah. that used, and uh, I watched it till the tape broke. I became fascinated with surfing, and I had the poster on the wall. I had the magazines, which I had to have like a subscription for because you couldn't pick up a surfing magazine in Indiana. And uh, I have, and then I moved to California in two thousand and three, and I have never been in the ocean because I'm terrified of sharks. What, yep. dude? I have. I put my feet in the water at Santa Monica, and I was like, nah, that's enough of that because I'm terrified of what I cannot see. Okay, well, you're your own worst enemy in so I am, many right? ways. Right? Yeah, just go surf. Just go ask a surfer, like, I don't know, just go to the Y down there and book a, a session. Learn how to surf. You love surfing. Now, I never surfed, but I never surfed, but I I boogie boarded. Well, I was all right the at shark it. thing? Is uh, the reason I don't get on a surfboard is because that scene in Point Break where Keanu Reeves flies into that one group of guys, you know, Anthony Kiedis is in. And uh, they end yeah. up in a fight. Like, You're not local, man. <laughs> you know, and I was like, uh, oh man, the, the locals are gonna just tear me up. If they see me on a board. I do get those my were wet. those were white supremacist. <laughs> those weren't locals. Those were that was a game. Right, but in so my head, I made that I made that whole thing up. I was just like, oh, I get on the I get on a board, and the locals are gonna be like kicking my ass. Yeah, <laughs> surf Nazis. Oh, I'm no. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still in a locale where you can pick up a surfboard. Yeah, and go, it's right? so cold here. It's so cold, man. In Oregon, wetsuits. Yeah, wet people suits, surf, wet but it's... You got to get a wetsuit. Yeah, good. I, I wouldn't have to worry about locals out here because there's only like six surfers in this whole town. Yeah, hey, unless they're super territorial. And I don't think I don't sharks know. come up here. Just yeah. get on it. All right, get on all it. right. All right, and uh, it's not, it's not for about? you than for me to be proud of you about. Okay, okay? yeah, you only live once, and uh, if I'm gonna die, I might as well do it in glory on top of a board. I've I've ridden waves before, but not standing, just boogie board. It's so fun. It's so fun it's when you how... finally get one. Yeah, it's great. you think it's funny how at the end of Point Break they end with this huge, massive storm and a wave that's pretty much gonna kill Bodhi, and then if you mm -hmm. go back to back to the beach where he also faces down an insane storm and a massive wave that's supposed to kill him, and how they have totally different perspectives on how that <laughs> is handled. Yeah, what is it called? The big kachunga from Down Under. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's interesting i didn't realize that we had i, I realized we had 287 movies but i didn't realize the link between those two yeah that's interesting now uh so. speaking of nostalgia our last movie is the way way back 
Come on, let's get pumped. This summer, shake it way, way up. I'm the one who's not grinding on you right now. I'm not grinding on him. Yes, you are. From a studio that brought you Little Miss Sunshine. Mad moves, mostly b-boying. Jackhammer, Applejacks, coin drops, rubber bands. Be juking, fucking? No, not this far from Memphis. The way, way back. Charlie, don't do your dead dance so close to the fire. Rated PG-13. I saw it last year, and I... I love that. I movie. did. I I really really enjoyed it. When I saw it, I watched it again immediately afterwards, and I told everybody this is going to be the movie of the year. Uh, I thought this was going to be win all the awards. I thought it was amazing. But I have to tell you something. Um, a year and a half later, I don't remember the movie. Oh well, there's this kid and his mom. His mom's a single mom. They go down to this uh, beach community with her boyfriend, and they rent a house or something. And her boyfriend, it's Steve Carell, and he seems like he might be cool, really, for a moment. But then the tide turns real quickly, and he's just a jerk. He's not. It's not stepfather where he's trying to move into the family and destroy them if he can't have them. But he's just a jerk. He's trying to right. toughen up the kid, and the kid isn't that kind of kid. You don't give him tough love. He's a gentle soul. You don't give this kid tough love, but you guide him a little bit. And he's not getting guidance from this guy. So the kid goes out on the town alone, just with a bike, meets a girl briefly, and he's awkward. He's like 14, 15. Uh, and this is totally like this kid represents part of my soul and how I felt. Yeah, I think everybody, age. if you were not lost at that age, between like 13 and 15, you had yeah. it made in the shade or you were the bully. But yeah. I, even, even bullies had a rough time during that period because you don't know what to do you're going through your puberty years you're you're changing from middle school where you still feel like a kid who's protected to high school you're gonna be the oh the new fish oh god you're like it's like prison high school is a lot like prison to me and and the fact you now yeah. accepted new responsibilities you know you're taking on more chores oh you're gonna be driving soon you're gonna get your first job oh it's starting to think about sex just as an actual possibility yeah well, this kid, like I said, he's a gentle kid, and he goes to a uh, water park and meets Sam Rockwell, who sees in the kid exactly what I just said, this gentle kid who, who is slightly awkward, doesn't exactly know how to be, and what you described, and so he, he right. just gives him a job, puts him under his wing, and there's some drama here and there between Sam Rockwell and Maya Rudolph. They're a couple in the movie, and they run the, the water park, and they need for funds and stuff like that and then there's the the coming to a head and confronting steve carell's character which is satisfying and all that but really it's just this journey of this kid learning who he is at least in part until the end of summer and at the end of summer he's more realized as a person than when he arrived he's come out of his shell a bit he's gained confidence and it's it's just a really beautiful story it doesn't skimp on any of the other characters either everybody has when i was watching this movie i kept thinking of adventureland i felt like if the kid had taken a slightly different turn and it was four years later it would adventureland would be his next story i know they're not connected in any way but for some reason in my mind i felt like adventureland is the cynical approach right yeah if i was saying if it took a different turn it was less hopeful but it was like the bizarro universe of the way way back yeah yeah just taking everything kind of flipped it it was like wow these things are really similar in this you know like certain pieces but the tone the attitude is completely different yeah everybody's kind of a got a mean streak uh, a little a little sinister in their humor in, in adventureland whereas the sam rockwell 
gang. They're they're very nurturing in their humor. Right. There's not a mean streak in any of them. They might not do the best things, but they're not being cruel or mean. Or they, yeah. I will say this is a better a very, movie. Do you, would you recommend yeah. Adventureland, though? Do you like that movie? Um. Yeah, as a light drama with, with comedic moments, I would say, yeah, I guess if you want to watch something like that, yeah. But it would always be, like, with the conditions. If yeah. you want to watch something like that, with with the way way back, I really recommend it at all, totally. Yeah, it it makes you feel so good, and uh, I, I need to watch it again because the fact that I couldn't remember it bothers me. The feel good bits, by the way, they're real. It's not manufactured. It's right. Well, the the writers, Jim Rash, didn't Jim Rash and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Didn't they do The Descendants? Yeah, I haven't Clooney? seen it. Oh, never mind. But I was just wondering because you know they got a lot of buzz from that, and they were able to get the way way back made. Yeah, I really just love the way way back you know we have extra time here uh speaking of things with cynical darker tones you wanted to discuss falling down the only reason we haven't is because i haven't seen it forever well falling down bill foster is an ordinary man where are you going going home not this way or not living in the everyday world I don't suppose you'd have a couple of bucks you could give me. It wouldn't really help me out. If you give me your address, I'll mail it back on us. A patient man. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like a ham and cheese wamlet, wham fries. I'm sorry. We stop serving breakfast at 11.30. Who's running out of patience? A peaceful man who's about to be pushed a little too far. You mean you stole your baseball bat, but he paid for the soda? Just standing up for my rights. Oh, this guy's discriminating. What kind of vigilante are you? Just trying to get home to my little girl's birthday. If everybody will stay out of my way, then nobody will get hurt. Warner Brothers presents the story of an everyday guy who refused to take it one more day. So we got a nutcase with a bag full of guns. He's in Hollywood right now, and he's heading west. Now, if you go up against this guy, be careful. Michael Douglas. In America, we have the freedom of speech, the right to disagree. Robert Duvall. I know who this guy is. In a Joel Schumacher film falling down let's call it a day come on i'm the bad guy a tale of urban reality the reason why i wanted to talk about it is because where i am currently is one of the hottest parts of the planet at least in america like i said 113 and falling down starts in a traffic jam in la super hot the guy gets out leaves his car and just walks the whole movie is set in one day and it's the hottest thing you'll ever experience as far as a movie goes literally hot not this paris hilton that's hot crap real heat you're in an air-conditioned movie theater where I saw it. I still felt how the movie did. <laughs> a good movie will make you feel the weather. I watched The Thing in the middle of summer for the first time on TV. Twilight was setting in, like 7.30, 8 o'clock. The Thing was coming on. Everything's frozen. I started getting cold. So if the movie is good, it'll help you physically relate. You'll possibly get cold or hot if the movie's right. hot. So that's how this well, works Well, also, the one thing you feel with the movie, of course, the only thing I really remember about this movie is Michael Douglas's character basically stands for every man who has been in a, and I don't mean literally man I just everybody who's ever been in a frustrated situation and it yeah. just gets to the point where you're like I, I can't take it anymore I ha- I'm gonna explode 
literally I had that feeling last week where everything was just kind of pounding on me and I just wanted to just like snap. In movies, you get away with that. Did you go to a McDonald's? I mean, first off, did you, <laughs> like the movie goes to a Korean store and the guy hounds them and hassles them and the guy even takes the guy's baseball bat or something. So he's walking around with a baseball bat. Then there's some thugs with some guns and stuff and he, he beats them up and takes their duffel bag full of guns. So now he's got a bunch of guns or something. Anyway, it's like almost like a video game in a way. He goes <laughs> point to point yeah. to point to point and he keeps accruing stuff or doing something. Like, he shoots up a McDonald's or a restaurant like that because they weren't selling breakfast anymore because it's 11.30. And he's like, it's one minute past. Can't you, you have it right there. Just, can you sell me? And then he buys a different thing, which is a crappy burger. And he's like, look at that picture and look at this burger. Look at that picture, look at this burger. And then he shoots the place up without hurting anybody, but freaks everybody out. He goes to a white supremacist uh, army surplus store. Oh, yeah, store. is this where Frederick Forrest pops yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starts going a little. Yeah. So you remember, I remember bits this and pieces. Movie. I just have. I literally have not seen this since it came out twenty-two years ago. Wow. That stuff happens. So he takes. I think that's the only guy he kills is Frederick Forrest, the white supremacist guy, because he's like, I'm nothing like you. Because he's like, You're, we're the same thing. We hate the same thing. So he's like, No, no, we're not. But this is a tragic movie. Well, first off, he gets a rocket launcher and he accidentally shoots it under some pipeline that they're making. Um, and the little kid teaches him how to shoot it because he sees like commando movies, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is the movie has a really dark sense of humor. It is a darkly comic drama but the deal is he just lost his job his wife had divorced him it's his daughter's birthday and he's at his wit's end so he just had it and it's tragic at the end he has a water gun that doesn't ever end nope. correctly and uh oh yeah the other part is robert duvall again being an old retiree cop it's his last day and he has to deal with this guy and it yeah, doesn't end well Joel Schumacher is a really frustrating director because it seemed like in the beginning he had a lot of style and not a lot of substance but then this movie has it all yeah style falling down substance. seems to be the point where he figured out how to do style and substance again and he started doing what was it the client and time to kill you know those are really solid movies but then the batman movies just were an epic disaster and then by the time yeah. those were over with no one really wanted to touch him the movies he did after that were either barely released or something was always yeah. up with what was it phone booth was fun but it was also just a lot of noise eight millimeter though is really solid eight millimeter is probably the closest thing he'll ever get to the same style yeah. and substance yeah, yeah, as yeah. falling down a lot of people disagree with me though yeah i didn't think about eight millimeter like that but yeah but eight millimeter is barely any levity yeah. than that with falling down there's a lot of levity but it's also vicarious levity like we do sometimes want to shoot the payphone so uh, i think yeah, that's so it that's, with our list that's why i wanted to talk about it because it's really, really yeah i didn't hot. expect for us to get through this episode as fast so i'm glad we fit that in in fact i think we fit in a couple extra movies there too as well <laughs> yep yeah, um, well, they're they're all recommended in some way or another. Yeah, summer schools. There are really a lot of either. great summer movies out there, and I feel like we just scratched the surface. I think next summer we should do sure. another it, one. It's going to be summer next summer, so. All right. Well, I mean, I hope so. I mean, unless the apocalypse comes around, it's like, well, I guess the summer's the whole year long because now we're in a Mad Max or world. frozen when you're Snowpiercer. Yeah, either or. Yeah, yeah, that's true. God, what would you what would you rather have? Would you rather have a Snowpiercer world or a Mad Max <sighs> world? I, 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 Would you rather bundle up for the rest of well, your time? Well, you can you can find heat and shelter in the Snowpiercer world, whereas you can't really find too much coolness in the Mad Max world. Or water, or food, or civilization. So honestly, I would rather logically prefer the Snowpiercer world. Thanks for getting me thinking about this, this wonderful coolness <laughs> in this sweltering heat. Uh, all right, <laughs> On everybody. that note...
Alright, everybody, stay cool! If you have to, don't take our movie recommendations until the winter. Watch some cold movies first, and then save this episode for December. <laughs> yeah, if you want to feel warm during that time. It's time on Video Night. Moneybag. I wasn't even rich! He shaved off his beard. Holy crap. Land shark. Pandagram. Don't take our guns! Y'all yeah, thought they were from outer space. Dang it. Bear skull face. With giant teeth. No, stop. Ew. Come on! Uh... And now... Hey, Michael. Hi, what's with the voice? Uh, nothing. I don't know. I'm just trying to do this, uh, nerdy voice. This, you know, nasally nerdy voice. It's because I have glasses and my hair is, uh, not cooperating. I have an alfalfa. Yeah, well, you also sound like me. I do not. Yeah, well, okay. Can I tell you this? There's something I just remembered the other day after, like, 25 years that really, really bugged me. The way I talk now, of course, is more scratchy. And there was a time where I changed my voice to sound more radio-like. Because at the time, I was working in radio. So, rounder. Yes. Bigger. Hey, everybody wider, gets the top of the morning, you know. More a lot open of mouth. A lot of it's because I can't breathe right. And it just occurred to me. Trust me, I'll get to the point. This will wrap around to a nerd thing. When I'm relaxed... And my my stomach has you know dropped down instead of crushing my diaphragm to the point where I want to pass out, which is apparently a lot of my health problems lately. I sound more like this, but you know a lot of times when you hear me, it's strange, it's scratchy, and I didn't even notice it for a long time. Like, what was the problem? Why did my voice change so much? And. I don't know how to fix it exactly. I just need to calm down and relax, I guess, and just deep breathe. But I remember as a kid in high school, in the back of the Jeep, we had this girl that was hanging around with us. We were giving her a ride home. It was with my friend TJ. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she goes, Why do you talk like this all the time? And I was like, What? She goes, Yeah, why do you talk like this? And I was like, I don't know. I just do. That's how I talk. Why do you talk the way you talk? Why does he talk the way he talks? People just talk the way they talk. It wasn't like a speech impediment or, you know, like a nervous tip. You know, sometimes I do get like this uh, Bob Newhart way of talking where I stammer a lot. I kind of wander around until I find what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. I think we actually all do that, really. And then there's filler words. Of course, we all do that, too. But this is just literally the way I talk. The, the Not the cadence, just the decibel. I don't know what you call it. The level that I talk. It's, you know what? It's literally the bones and the cavities in your face. Yeah. And you can manipulate them, to be sure. But you have to focus on it. And when I was 16, this was not a focus. I had a lot of sinus problems. I still do. Sure. Where it was always yeah. once I was clogged. I remember smashing my face really hard on a BMX bike once, and that might be a problem. Oh, gosh. Um, where it felt like my nose was shoved into my brain. Gosh. And the fact that I was always very little, and I was always anxiety-ridden, so there's a lot of high-pitched, nasally talking. And I know it's not radio-friendly. It's not the way that you want to hear it. And I just remember thinking about that, and I sound like the quintessential nerd. And I, you know that trend in the 90s where every black comedian was making fun of how white people talk. And white people are always like this. Hey, guy. I love mayo. Hey, guy. And thank God that trend ended because I'm not trying to play victim here, but that is reverse racism. Actually, it's not reverse racism. Racism is racism. If you're against one... No, right. There's no there's no reverse right. one way. But I remember one of my friends was doing a prank in the cafeteria in college. And this is... You know, by the time you're 21, you know, there shouldn't be that making fun of each other, this, you know, like the way you did in high school. It should have died off. You're, you're adults now. Yeah, I think so. I just remember this guy sitting behind me I heard him murmur something that sounded like it was mimicking my voice but I couldn't catch it and then all of a sudden my friend filled his mouth with like sour cream and then he like stroked his neck and spit it out like you know you know what I mean and I was like oh god never ever do that again and the, and the guy behind me goes never ever do that again and I just turned around and I don't know if I would do it differently today but I know that he was uh you know he was a black guy making fun of my white guy voice but I knew that going to school in southern Indiana 
there was a lot of racial tension. And I don't know if he was just making fun. Right. I don't know if he was making fun of me to make fun of me. You know, just picking anybody. It had nothing to do with my whiteness. Or he was doing the mock white voice. But that's one of those things that drives me nuts. Yes, I talk in a certain way. And like, you know, I told you I couldn't listen to my podcast for a long time because I just... Dude, I, you're not... I know. You're not so bad There anymore, are times, dude. though, when I go, oh, my voice really cracked there. Or it's really nasal. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... And it bugs me. I get the frog a lot. Yeah. And I, I have to edit the dang thing out because I'm like... <laughs> and that's just me laughing. There's a guy who's a vendor who comes in and he has, at the worst of my voice, that he has that times 10. Like when he laughs, he goes... He sounds like a Martian. Like it could... It, is he worse than that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that, but his, his laugh could shatter glass. And I thought of oh, that God. and I also thought of Poindexter in Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, God. You know the entire cast of what? Revenge of the Nerds, right? That's the first movie. This is the longest intro to get to the movie. But the movie is Revenge of the Nerds 2 yes. that we're talking about. Nerds. It may take vision. Can I get you a drink or something? It may take guts. Oh, it may even take all summer. So you want to get funky or what? <laughs> but once again, the odds will get even. They're back. They're back. Ow. Revenge of the Nerds 2. Nerds in Paradise. We can toss Revenge of the Nerds. All of the cast, though, they all laugh that way. Kind of. Not Lamar. Lamar doesn't laugh like that. L- oh, Lamar sure. has a really yeah. soft but, laugh. But, oh, and neither does Booger. But, okay. So, Lamar's not a nerd. No. He, he's a fashionable gay dude. And Booger is just a gross creep. And they are not nerds. They're just outsiders. Mm-hmm. But the quintessential nerds, Poindexter and the two other dudes, uh, I forget their names because I'm not into this movie or this series. Wait, wait, wait. Um, you don't like the second those... one? I thought you liked the second one. No, no. Ken Reed likes the second one. Sir, I don't like the Revenge of the Nerds movies. I find them to be in- incredibly problematic. And I do not mean just in the rapiness of the first one. I mean in the pitting people against people. Tribalism. I'm not into it. And that's what these movies really are about. They're so completely contradictory. But let's get into what Revenge of the Nerds 2 is. Okay. But let's just say real quickly, the first one, of course, it's the death throes of the Porky's era. You know, the sex comedy. I would say the first Revenge of the Nerds would be so much better and I know that the people out there in the fandom world is gonna, they're going to lose their friggin' mind when I say this the first one would be better if it was PG-13 if you took out all the took out take out two scenes take out the whole panty raid part of it and take out the final uh, sex scene in the fun house the moon base whatever that is take those two scenes out of the movie and it's infinitely better and it doesn't make my skin hmm. crawl I, I can't believe you know what's funny is even the DVD they, they call it the panty raid edition like that's okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, nostalgia. You remember back when you were a creep? Yeah. Edition? You remember when you did stuff that would embarrass your children and be ashamed of it? <laughs> Edition. Uh, but there is some, there's a lot of heart in the first one, and most of it's based around Anthony Edwards' character. Right, and here he is a glorified cameo. Right, he didn't want to be in it. He thought the script sucked, uh, and this is post-Top Gun, so this was his time to be a lead, which sadly was very short-lived, even though I think you and I both agree that the stuff he did after Top Gun was pretty interesting, even though it all bombed. Sure. Yeah, Miracle Mile is rather good Anthony Edwards' lead film. 
Yeah, uh, I love that film. That was '88, and uh, it was so, yeah, it was clearly time for them to uh, for him to move on from Revenge of the Nerds, and also they they really called down the nerds. In the first movie, there's like 15 of them. They got it down to the main core. I think uh, ditching Kashi was a great idea because I watched that now and I was like, oh, oh god, the pain. Oh, the '80s here. So, oh boy uncomfortable <laughs> yeah but i think concept of getting misfits together and yes it is tribalism and i didn't think about that until you said it but i also like the fact if you look at movies in the 80s there really wasn't a lot for misfits and they, they, they would say oh, yeah, they, 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 were. they would say that but they weren't actually misfits these guys were really outcasts no were, yeah there were what i mean there were there was always you misfits. say misfits there of was... science i'm gonna slap you i'm gonna come through the internet <laughs> <laughs> reach through the telephone and slap me mike <laughs> Michael, Mikey. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just there was like Goonies. Did stop, that. Were, stop, stop. Listen, what? listen, listen. There was Goonies. Yeah, but they're all there good-looking was... kids, except for... And even Chunk's kind no, of good-looking. No, don't even base it on good looks. Okay. Don't even base it on good looks. This is just a bunch of kids that band together, and they feel like they're outsiders, and they feel like they have something to fight against, mm-hmm. especially against Brand's bully guy, okay? That guy was a jock jerk. Okay. Okay, and Brand was just an athletic kind of loner dude. And then he hooks up with his brother's friends, Goonies, right? And then you have Monster Squad. Monster Squad, we've already talked about. These guys are monster kids. Monster kids are not popular. That's true. You forget back then... That back then, you were kind of an outcast if you read Fangoria and Gorezone. Trust me, I know. <laughs> and comics, if you yeah. said that you read comics. Yeah. And so, there there are those movies. Weird Science, okay? Okay, you got me. Who, I'm sorry. I yes, guess for some reason, I was thinking, I guess it's too the on the nose. essential thing. I guess Revenge of the Nerds is the Saved by the Bell version of nerds. <laughs> One more, though. I know you don't like this, but The Explorers. Yeah, those I just because I thought it was boring, that's all. It's not a bad movie, it's just boring. Ah, okay. Well, well this but, is... But look at them, though. Look at them, though. They they, they could all fit in. They don't look like they're obvious bully bait. Whereas I actually knew people. I want to show you pictures of me as a child. I look like I belong (laughs) at Revenge of the Nerds. And I got bullied all the time. And Uh, here's a strange thing. I didn't look like an all-the-time absolute dork. But I was one, yeah. and thus I was massively bullied. Now, I mean, I can't say it was my fault that I was bullied by how I looked, but by my naivety, it still wasn't my fault. Oh, you kind of set yourself up, yeah. But, but I'm, I'm kind of a naive, nice kid, and I'm like, oh, what? Like, I don't know why they're picking on me or whatever. Uh-huh. I'm oblivious to hierarchies, especially at that age. Yeah, so, I'm not a, I'm not good with rules. I don't realize that I'm supposed to, like... I, still, to this day, as an adult, I find myself at the gym, and they're like, hey, man, I'm bigger than you. That piece of equipment, that's mine. I was like, uh, I think we all paid membership dues. I'm, we're all going to share this. But I never say that. I say it in my head, and I just go, oh, all right, here you go. Mm. Hmm. I didn't know that happened. It still happens. Still. A lot. Wow. I get bullied. I'm 41, and I still get bullied, and I let it happen. Okay, so let's get to the movie real quick. <laughs> this is another one of those that was on that special tape collection that my grandfather gave right. me. It was part of, I think it was with Back to the Beach and uh, uh, the Cusack, um, Hot Pursuit. Yeah. Uh, there seemed like there was a lot of summer surfing movies and stuff like that going on in the 87 summer era. Like, I guess, yes. Back to the Beach, North Shore, which is going to come up in this episode, Wrench of the Nerds 2, Hot Pursuit, and I feel like there's a couple others in there. There's Kareem. Bay with John Savage, which no one remembers. All set in like Trump. One crazy summer. Uh, that's the year before, '86. Oh, okay. I mean, are you seriously telling me that you thought John Cusack made two summer movies, <laughs> Southern Islands, <laughs> in the same year? No, no, I, I haven't seen One Crazy Summer. Oh, okay. Actually. <gasps> what? 
podcast. No, it's okay. You know what I haven't seen? Uh, a lot. <laughs> well, especially, well, especially 70s movies. When people are like, have you seen this Al Pacino movie? I go, I don't really like Al Pacino before, like, I don't know, Heat and after Heat. <laughs> I said, okay, so that was one of those movies that I watched over and over and over, and it was, I was allowed to watch it. I had seen the first Revenge of the Nerds, but I would have to close my eyes during certain sequences. I still think... They would really do that? Close your eyes, Michael. Yeah, or I'd have to turn around, but I was smart enough to look in the reflection in their glasses. So... Turn around, Michael. Really? Wow. My parents would just not allow it. I could watch a head explode into gore, but I couldn't watch a booby. I know. I know. There's something threatening about boobs. Well, I think it's still that way, too. It sounds like an 80s thing, but I think it still probably goes now. I think making it PG-13 was the best move for it. Well, there's still plenty of TNA. There is, but and it's, no actual... It's peripheral. The camera right. just walks by. No, there is actual... There really? Is there actual. was nudity? There's two scenes in which there's a... Because I happen to appreciate pretty ladies, so they stand out to me when they happen upon. And if they're dressed in a certain way that says to any gender okay look at me i'm nearly naked or totally naked i'm just gonna look because i have eyeballs that work you know so i see there's the wet t-shirt contest that's the thing then there's the dream that he has with anthony edwards interrupting and he's a i had a dream with three girls and then they show the three girls and they're all sheer outfits where you see everything it's backlit but you see the big old boobies and everything right so I mean, and of course college age kids tend to be sex obsessed so it, it makes sense and it's pg-13 it is and this so. is still pg-13 when they could still get away with a little bit oh yeah remember uh, just one of the guys oh right i forgot about that that's amazing that had a ton uh, uh, Doc Hollywood, oh. she she walks right out of the water, completely nude, and you're like, ah. yeah. This a, I thought yeah, this was yeah. a family movie. That was one movie. with my parents that I actually saw, yeah, uh, in the theater, and I was like, kind of mortified. Me too. Because it was like, Same here. I'm at this age. I'm at this age where this kind of means something without me wanting it to, and uh, uh, I'm next to my parents. I'm sandwiched between them. Yeah. This is not good. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into the plot because if you know, they just they go to Fort Lauderdale. Um, what I like about the you movie, know what it is, it's just a fraternity sort of council thing. Yeah. And they have to represent their school. But there's the big jock frat which uh, just keeps trying to keep the nerds down. That's that's it. Right. It is show up the nerds. It is too similar to the first movie. I wish it had taken a bigger veer off into a different direction like the way that Bill and Ted's 2 does. Yes. I would have loved if they had gone in a completely different direction. At least they get them off campus. That was a good idea and they got a new villain even though apparently it was supposed to be Stan Gable. They do have uh, Ogre who okay this is why I like the movie. I'm just going to break this down real quick. First off, some of it's nostalgia. Two, soundtrack by Devo. Three, there is a lot more jokes in this that are cartoony. And I was trying to see who the writers were. And it turns out it's two of the main writers from WKRP, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time, and just the ten of us. And there's certain scenes where it's just lightning fast jokes, especially when they're in the Hotel Coral Essex. There's joke after joke after joke. There's some really darker, weirder humor buried in the TNA fluff of it all or the us versus them kind of plot that's why i like it there the scene where she's giving them the tour is demented fun in my opinion and it's my favorite scene yeah it's not bad that scene's not terrible the fixing the sign for the party scene is really dumb where they fix it to say uh hot 
Earl yeah, Sacks. yeah. That's like, oh come on. And then, I, and by then, the way, like, did not I did not get the joke at all as a kid, nope, right? Not, not even a clue. Did. But immediately after that sign is done, hey, it worked. Immediately, a crowd's just stormed the place. Just unrealistic. And well, I it's because it's the cartoon. The, the second one is a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it's a cartoon. But what I what I kind of really enjoyed, and I always enjoy this, and I, I enjoy it in spite of its terribleness, is the the dad rap style. Okay, song. So the very so I was going to ask you about this because you were a hip hop kid, and I was. Listening I to was a lot. Hip-hop kid. This is right when I first started listening to a lot of hip hop, and I loved it at the time. But now I look at Barry Sobel and I go, uh... <laughs> "I said, is did Dan Aykroyd write this? Because <laughs> oh boy, it's very similar to the Dragnet rap." Yeah, well, and there's in, also in that its... weird moment after the rap. All of a sudden, like this different version of Barry Sobel shows up. Watch the first half hour and then watch the rest of the movie, and all, he's like a timid nerd. He gets pushed around. All of a sudden, he's like, "Yo, yo, yo, where are my friends at? I'm gonna call the cops." And you're like, "Why are you talking like that? That's so against." Oh, because... Uh, no, no, no. That's established. Is it? They uncorked... Yes, they uncorked his low self-esteem. Okay, okay, okay. Good self-esteem. So who he it really is, is this semi-confident dude who's just, like, easy with his lingo. So well, also in 1987... Say, where's my friend? Right. Also in 87, if you're white and you're into hip-hop, that was... Uh, Beastie Boys. It was Outsider. You know, well, this is just as Beastie Boys are breaking. So they really had... I think maybe the first song had just come out. But, I mean, they had filmed it before. I think their album was even been released well there, there's a style that when he shows up it's it's a lot kind of like the trade-off rap style to the beastie boys but it's still the dad rap style uh-huh. except he's dressed in a silk outfit which is not beastie boys at all no it's uh, well it's more like uh, the uh you know that pre-run dmc kind of flashy almost mad maxian look grandmaster Flash. thank you grandmaster thank you yeah and African Bombada. The, the style of rap was in various movies. Rockula has it. I don't know if you recall Rockula. I did. Look at my Facebook right now. That's the episode I just posted. <laughs> me and my sister. Great. Me and my sister discussed it. So Rockula has the rap like that. Dragnet has it. This movie has it. Top that. Teen Witch has this very white dad trying to be cool with his kids. Yeah, rap. it's like the exact opposite of mumble rap. It's just very precise. It's almost like uh, William Shatner's way of rapping <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that part i really enjoyed the thing about tossing ogre overboard because he's just an idiot that was forced i never noticed it as a child i, I it's so forced now i mean he is an idiot yeah but he's, he's a big galoot who plays sports and gets by on a scholarship and he's in a frat and so they toss him overboard because he's like no i'm loose lips whatever i'll tell everybody the plan because he's proud of it right and they they want to be uh, anonymous about it because they're bad guys mm-hmm. it's a conspiracy so they throw him overboard and then he just hangs out with them and then gets deep with them while smoking pot. That's kind of funny, his whole getting deep thing. Yeah. Well, I also like right before that, he's like, you're a really good swimmer. Man, thank you. I can't believe it. And then he looks at them, looking at him. He's like, get away from me, you brute. And I had that wrong for decades. <laughs> I thought he said, you brute. Does he say, you fruit? Because oh. that makes a lot more sense. Because for the longest time, I thought it was just a silly one-off. Like, why did he call him a brute when he's clearly like a third of his no, size? No, it's fruit. He does say fruit. <laughs> yeah. that, that, it makes it not funny now. Yeah, now, now, no, well, look, things are what they are in movies and stuff. You can still write a character right now who's a bit homophobic. Yeah. To not acknowledge that there are people like that is not good. It's not even problematic to include them in a movie. Because you wrote a character that is lame doesn't mean that you're advocating that lameness. No, 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 no. no. But it's also... You need to get that Right. right now that you can have a massively flawed character. I mean, did you not see three billboards? 
amazing Sam Rockwell is the most problematic character. Don't not write him. The point is that he's problematic and he grows. He doesn't even grow perfect. He just grows. It's a very fantastic and interesting character in spite of his flaws. I, uh, that's the point. I, I wrote a teleplay for a pilot episode about an actor who was really, really big like 20 years ago, but alcohol and drugs destroyed him. And, and he's kind of damaged character and he's old school and he's talking to his new assistant or whatever and his assistant's just like a huge fan he wants to save his career and he's just like well have you ever tried theater and he goes what I look like some sort of fruit and I keep hemming and hawing about changing that line and I, if I change that it almost it's neutering the character right it, it's a cop out it's trying to make it safe but this character clearly is behind the times and he needs yeah an awakening so you keep writing the character towards a, a trajectory that makes sense for that character right it's not good to try to make everything perfect and utopian because life ain't that way and it can't be that way it really can't right spite of what did we not learn from demolition man <laughs> <laughs> what are the three shells for <laughs> all i will say timothy busfield i didn't never notice never notice how pivotal he is to the first two movies he's like the idea man he's the one with all the brains and as an actor he really buries himself in that role and he's so funny so incredibly funny no i when his name comes up on the credits i'm like elby timothy busfield she's like why are you telling me this why are you pointing him out i'm like it's because it's an it's an actor who you know (laughs) you know like that's it yeah i remember we went to lake arrowhead film festival where they were honoring robert carradine and i could see him visibly uncomfortable with every clip they showed from Avenger the Nerds and barely sh- <laughs> and, then, and then they would show I mean you know how old he was right he was like 29 Gosh. I think but then they would show clips from other stuff and you could see he was happy and grateful you know that they were showing something other than Revenge of the Nerds because it's kind of sad that was the only thing he was really known for because he's not bad my favorite thing is just a one minute role in Escape from LA when he has that skinhead thing going and he's like get back here shit heel yeah I'm talking to you one eye and then Snake just turns around and blows him away. That <laughs> must have been a lot of fun. And it was like one day of work. I didn't know he was in that. Really? That's how much I paid attention to that movie. Yeah, LA is not good. No. When I was 13, it was 87. Turned 13, July 5th, 1987. And this movie came out about a month later. North Shore. Every young person has a dream. Making it come true is the challenge. I don't want to be some wrinkled up old geezer, 40 years old, watching a surf contest on TV and going, yeah, I was good, I could have done that. No way. For surfers, North Shore is the place. Rick Kane is determined to make his dream come true. Welcome to Pipeline. Bonsai Pipeline? One and only. You're dangerous. Better you go home. Yeah, Kook, you don't belong over here. Nobody messes with the buoy. But he is an outsider. Seem like a nice girl. And there are more obstacles than he ever imagined. Gregory Harrison, Nia Peoples, and Matt Adler. I heard you uh, ate it pretty bad both times you've been out. It's really dangerous out there. You do everything I say to do. You don't question anything. The first time you do, that's it. Okay, it's a deal. Right 
Why do you hate contests so much? You bring out the worst in the human animal. Will you come with me? And from Arizona. Yes, Arizona, Rick Kane. Okay, Joe. Kids got potential. Maybe. A story about the realization of a dream set against the background of some of the hottest high-energy surfing footage ever filmed. North Shore. This was my Southern California early teens was me and beach culture. I wasn't totally into it. I enjoyed the beach. I would bodyboard. I would never be able to get on a surfboard because it, I never had one. Also sharks. And sharks. <laughs> no, no sharks. No no risk of sharks. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that I lived in Indiana and I dreamed of living on the coast. And then when I lived on the coast, I was like, nah, I'm not going in the water. Why? I don't know. Sharks. Jellyfish, sharks, stuff I can't see. I don't know what's down there. I don't know what's down there. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the thing. Not knowing what's down there. When you're in the wave, or or right before the wave, you're just treading water with your board, and you're like, there's nothing beneath my feet. I can't feel anything down there. And if you think about it, you could panic. Yep. So, if you don't think about it, and you're just thinking about, let's catch the next wave, yeah. then that's fun. Well, I'm so insane so. that I'm, I'm, I'm so afraid of sharks that I would check my pool. My pool in Indiana. That's... Nobody's going to no. put a shark in my pool, but there's that thing in your pool. That's, that's stupid. That's silly, that's, sir. Yeah. I'm telling you. I know. I know this now. Silly. I know. But North Shore is just absolutely a good time, I think. Well, it's almost the anti-Revenge of the Nerds in, yes, there's classism, but it's played down in a different direction in that it's more about unity than it is about separating and then, you know, divide and conquer. Well, it's it's very interesting. Matt Adler is the main character, and Gregory Harrison is his mentor on Hawaii. Uh-huh. But uh, I forget the the actor slash surfer who played the big rival. Uh, well, this, okay, uh, which one? Are we talking the big blonde guy, Laird Hamilton, or are we talking yes, Jerry Lopez? There, okay, there, Hamilton. So that guy in real life is the opposite to the character Correct. that he's playing. He is a longboarder, he is a straight shooter, he's not a hot dogger, so... Terrible actor. He, Truly hideous. He's, <laughs> Woo. Is he a terrible he, actor, he, or is he just playing pinnacle Maybe, jockey? but he does get better. I think he's in a movie called In God's Hand, which is another surf drama about ten years later, which isn't bad, but it's not great. Surf movies are really right. hard as a narrative. Surf movies are, are, you know, the last great surf movie was Big Wednesday with all the good actors in it yeah uh and and And, and they were actual surfers that's the big thing is trying to get people who can surf and can act dude matt adler surfed in this yeah yeah they got some great footage of him surfing and i was like that's not him no that's him yeah it's not a stunt double well i mean he was bigger well so was john philbin his you know the guy who calls him barney all the time i can't remember his character's name but he's a surfer too You know what's funny is I think about the connections to our previous... So this is a sequel to our other Summer Fools episode from three years ago. Yeah. There's a lot of connections. We had 287 movies, you know, Back to the Beach, and we had Summer School. And then, you know, these two movies are from 87. Also, John Philbin was in Point Break as one of uh, Patrick's... Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, Turtle I, I really, Oh, Tar- Turtle, thank you. I actually really like John Philbin. He was in a ton of stuff around this time. He's very likable. But he's also very different in each role, where a lot of actors, when they're younger, they don't know how to change, like, separate themselves, to, to be the character or be themselves. And I think a lot of times he really does completely change his, you know, he'll go from Return of the Living Dead to, what is that, to New Kids... And then, uh... Oh. My. Goodness. Return of the Living Dead. You're right. He's in that, too. Yeah. He's in Tombstone. Goodness, dude. You know, the guy is a character actor, he and he he's matinee idol good looks. He doesn't... But he's yeah. a character actor. He doesn't even look that it's much fantastic. different. fantastic. Yeah. 
Listen, as Turtle, he's got Pigeon. I think it's called Pigeon. It's a kind of dialect that they have on the islands. It's a combination of Polynesian and, and English, yes. I believe. So they call it Pigeon. If I'm incorrect, let me know. Don't be mad at me. Right. I'm not trying to be... I had a, I had a boss who was, if I want to remember correctly, Chamorro. But I, when he would talk, he, there was, he was literate with um, words that I have never heard in my life. And he also right. had a very uh, broke. He would break up his words in a certain uh, way that I, cadence. Yeah, his cadence was odd. And then he would say certain words, but like almost like all the words were curved. Does that make any sense? Like how he's saying a word, I feel like there's soft edges on them. Um, it's like those words are a wave. And it, it was fascinating. Too bad he was a giant piece of crap. Uh, <laughs> oh, he was a, that's he was, weird. He was an awful human being. Made me miserable and tortured me <laughs> to the point where I got a lot of money out of that company. So. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> speaking of that, the Matt Adler gets to the islands after winning a big ol', uh, not really big, but surfing tournament in a wave pool in Arizona. I, I missed that. I missed that it was in a wave pool because when they said Arizona, I was like, wait, how did they have how? I missed yeah. this. Is it a big old wave pool at a water park? But the guy who issued him the check is K-Rock's very own The Poor Man, who I used to hear... In the evening, not in the daytime, as they would have you think on Men at Work. Mm-hmm. He was also the voice in Heather's. He had little movie roles just doing radio guys. And here, he printed, presented the check. That's a poor man. He's a really sleazy dude. Like, really oogling, beach babe, sleazy guy. He had a show on local TV in California that was all about that. But poor man was, he started Love Lines with Dr. Drew. That's what really? he was Wow. And then he was fired. And then Adam Carolla took over. But anyway, poor man issues him a check for $500 and he goes to Hawaii on $500. <laughs> But actually, what I picked up was that he actually had been saving for it and then won the 500 Oh, right, right, yeah. Over the thing. So then he goes and tries to hang out with a, a guy who he met the previous summer. And that guy's like, I don't care who you are, get out. And so he hooks up with these Australian guys. Which I felt like I needed subtitles or a translator. I had no idea what any of them were saying. Oh, it was hard to understand them. I think the audio mix in this was not a very good audio okay. mix. All the ambient noises were really loud. All the music was really loud. And all the dialogue, especially with the Australians, was more subtle. But these guys, is this like two dudes from Australia template? You and I talked about Vertical Limit and it has two brothers who are Australian. Who are oh, right, yeah. interchangeable with these Australian surfers. Those are Australian mountain climbers. Just switch the actors and they could be the same. Just take the mountain climbers, put them in North Shore and take the North Shore guys and put them in the mountain movie. And they're the same characters. It's pretty funny. Correct. <laughs> That's your reaction. That's all I got, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a Barney. Right. So you also sent me a YouTube clip of a song, Don't Mess With The Hooey. It's exactly the plot of the movie North Shore. It's by a band called The W's. It's one of those ska bands with a touch of swing music from the mid to late 90s. And they were a Christian band as well. And I had this CD, and I don't have it anymore because most ska is bad from that era. Most. In fact, I'll just go on record and say Siren 6 is the best ska band from that era because they did not adhere to the ska rules. Who? The Siren 6. Never heard of them. You have now, and you will look them up because they're so good. So North Shore... But anyway. Yeah, North Shore is... Uh, it, 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 you keep thinking that it's going to be a Karate Kid movie. 
and it doesn't go that direction. You keep thinking it's going to be about you know the, the us versus them, and it doesn't go in that direction. Every time I think the movie's going to go in a direction, right? It keeps changing it. It's mostly kind-hearted. Yeah, it's a coming-of-age movie. They sold it, if I remember correctly, as if it was a competition sports movie. It's not. It's a spiritual coming-of-age movie. Right. So he. Oh, by the way, Nia Peoples is in this, and she is absolutely cuter than cute. Yeah, I think at the time she had just come off of fame. So she was kind of known, and she might have, been, besides Gregory Harrison, better than the only name that like regular households would have known, because I think Matt Adler was at, at best. No, Matt Adler was just kid brother and everything. Yeah, yeah, like Teen Wolf and stuff like that. Yeah. But this, she plays the love interest to Matt Adler, and her big brother and his friends are the Hooey. That's what the song was about. Don't mess with the Hooey. And the Hooey are, is, a, is a surf gang, but they're, it's like a community of surfers Mm -hmm. but they're locals only so don't mess with the locals and they're actually kind of jerks if you're on their uh, current wanting to drop in on a wave they're gonna be mad at you and pick a fight with you type of thing Mm -hmm. they're not good guys right but they're they're the territorial tribal people when it comes to the tribalism that we're talking about with fraternities and stuff but then there's also the rivalry between Gregory Harrison and the old hot dog or surfer guy Uh so there's real valid Conflict. Well, also, uh, Turtle feels threatened that, you know, Matt Adler's character is Gary Harrison's now, you know, adoptive son of sorts. You know, he's taking him on being his mentor, and he feels like he's left out, and that he's not even going to be making boards for him anymore. So there's that tension, too. Right, but then, Rick. I just call him Howie. Howie or Barney. Yeah. (laughs) Howley. Howley. Yeah, Matt Adler's character, he takes the surfboard that Turtle makes and he presents it to Gregory Harrison's character. And you think, like what you said, there's that tension of like, oh man, I brought you over here, now you're taking my spot sort of thing. And no, 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 no. He just brings the spotlight to the guy and says, no, he made it. I didn't make it, he made it. And then that guy gets even more respect for the Gregory Harrison character. And it's just all this, like really, like you said, little subtle twists to the conflicts mm-hmm. so that they change. So instead of the whole gang beating up the guy who stole uh, Adler, who accuses the guy of stealing. The guy's like, no, you stole his stuff, you fight him. Right, and that was honorable, I honestly thought, because they don't play Jerry Lopez's character as a straight-up villain in any way. He's just like, well, I mean, okay, so I know about this because what that guy told me, the, the guy that I worked with, is that they do feel threatened. They feel like their entire world has been taken away from them because they discovered the islands, you know, 60 years ago and became a massive tourist area, so it's taken over by that. And then all the, the people came over and they started buying up all the property, so it made it almost impossible for the people who have lived there for, you know, generations to afford to live anymore. So they feel threatened. Yeah, and so there is this resentment to that right coming in. And, and right. that's kind of like, that's our way because that's all they have. You know, everything else has been taken away from them except for the oceans. And yeah. so I kind of get where he's coming from, but it's There's also... There's a lot of subtle context mm-hmm. to this film. But at the same time, it's kind of got this sheen of like 1987 smaller film. The surfing footage is always fantastic. Yeah, the guy but, who directed it, I, I don't think he ever directed another fictional movie again, uh, but he was he had done a big surfing documentary a couple years prior to North Shore. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's his sizzle reel to get this movie made, I'm sure. Yeah, and apparently, uh, I haven't seen it, but apparently it's done with a strong narrative. 
So, it, you know, it, a good documentarian can also do live-action films. Is he, He's telling a story regardless of whether it's true or not true. I mean, look at Seth Gordon. He went from King of Kong to directing Horrible Bosses and stuff like that. So you can go between the two. Yeah, yeah, you can. So there's not a lot to spoil, but the movie does get into what the top dog is going to do in order to win versus the underdog and uh, how that may come back and bite him type of thing. Not to keep going on with the dog metaphor. Yeah. But it's a really subtly strong film. I would call it a sleeper. From the complexities of... When he decides that he's going to go into the competition and his mentors disappointed him, he's not, like, rejecting him and he's not, you know, not going to train him. It's really hard to train for surfing, I I would imagine. It's not like martial arts. But, you know, I think he gives him that subtle warning. It's like, don't go chasing the contest. Don't go chasing the money and the fame. That's not how you become a true Salzar. But at the same time, if he doesn't know he can accomplish these things, I think he'll always feel empty inside. So that's part of his spirit as well. North Shore is one of those movies that is totally nostalgic for me. It is also a thing that I dream about doing one day is surfing. Not North Shore, but just surfing. I don't care if it's a wave pool or not. I want to surf. But I've never had the opportunity to do so or learn. And so maybe I never will, but it's just something that I want to do. And so this movie is a really good kind of a vicarious living. Do you live near water at all right now? About uh, an hour and a okay. half. So same same distance for me too. It's just funny the culture changes so fast cuz you know in Lincoln City it was a tourist town, you know, beach town and there there were some surfers but it's Oregon coast so it's colder so there's not as many. There's surf shops and you come into town, I live right in the main pipeline of Oregon, and the culture is all hunting. Hunting. I mean, yeah. there's not even much of a skateboard culture here, which surprised me. I really thought there would be. No skate shops, hardly any skaters. It's all about wearing camouflage, big friggin' trucks, and uh, killing things. And I'm, you know me, I'm not a wimp. That's not it. But from an emotional standpoint, I don't have any interest in taking the lives of other things. You don't have a need to do it. No. So you're not going to so do it. So it's not a... Let's just say you do have a need. I can see you buckling down and doing it, but with tears in your eyes. And that's right. good. That is the respectful way. My interest... You don't have... And, and I'm not a huge teen guy either. I am... What I like and why I love quote-unquote extreme sports is it's all about you beating you basically i mean because oh, okay. you know skateboarding and surfing and, and vert you know bmx stuff like that snowboarding it really is just about you topping yourself sure you have other people you're competing with but it's not the same mentality at all because i see so much positivity in extreme sports they're all there to help each other and i wish they could get more of that in movies like the way they did in north shore a lot of those movies at that yeah. time was all about villainous stuff rad thrashing like gleaming the cubes a mystery so that doesn't count but there's a lot of those movies where it's just a... no hey but no 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 gleaming the cube had his friends there for the, him okay okay too. the bones brigade they yeah. were there to back him up in the time that he needed yeah. them there. They were good. They didn't even have the tension part where they're like, no, back off, man. Yeah. No. And, and that's, this isn't even that's cool. why I really love these kind of sports. And they, they make so few Airborne. Of them. Yeah. They make so few of them. It's just like, it's only based on fad. And that's what bugs me. Yeah, it it's is. Like, what's hot right now? Let's make a because... couple of these. I well, can you just make? Why can't you just keep making them? I mean, it's not like surfing ended. <laughs> Roller, rollerblading no, basically. Ended. End, but... <laughs> 
What is a good surfer story? There, I mean, surfer dude. Oh, I never. I know. That's a movie that came out a few years ago with Matthew yeah. McConaughey that totally. Uh, yeah, I've never seen that one. What happens when a surfer doesn't have the wave to ride? That's what the movie. Oh, okay. The the surf is flat. What happens? Oh no. Yeah, uh, North Shore is the first time I've seen this. This is the first time I've seen this one. I thought I had seen it before, like on HBO, like I don't know, fifteen years ago. But none of it seemed familiar in any way whatsoever. So this is a first viewing for me. So who wrote this? North Shore. Uh, Tim McCanley's who didn't actually write a whole lot around the time of North Shore. He had to wait another decade before he really got something made. And when I found out what he wrote, it shocked me because the previous episode that my sister co-hosted with me was about Can't Hardly Wait and Dancer Texas, Population 81. He wrote Dancer Texas and directed it too. Oh, yeah, he, uh, he also wrote and directed Secondhand Lions. He wrote The Iron Giant. The Iron yes. Giant, which is one of the absolute best, if not the best. I mean, it's debatable, but I don't want to debate animated films ever. So that's fantastic. How come? How, are you not that's a fan great. of animation? You and I rarely discuss uh, it. You've I'm, never done an episode of Back in Tunes except for uh, Iron Giant. <laughs> I, I like animation, but I do not champion it as because it's animated, it's good. No. Okay. I was just curious. There are things that I do like a lot, but it's not because it's... Okay, gotcha. We ended up long on Revenge of the Nerds in our intro. So uh, we're going to break it up into two-parter. We haven't done a two-parter in a while of just two titles each. Well, also, we didn't have that first... We always joke about that first year where we didn't stop ourselves. When we clearly should have stopped ourselves. Yes, we (laughs) should have. Nobody wants to hear four hours of two dudes droning on and one of them going to sleep. There was well, dude, I was working graveyard at the time, and I was just like, "Eh, eh, I can't do this anymore, Andrew." It was. There was times when we got the hour two and a half, and it was like, "I'm gonna cut." I can't do it, but Michael, we're like. Dana Gould, he could go for no, 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 no. He, you know, he does two different shows and he edits them together and then he adds bits and pieces. I know, I know, I know, I know. Now, now I know. Wouldn't it be great though if we had like that middle chunk to break up episodes? Yeah. Well, our next episode is part two of this Summer Fools thing. It will be covering. Now we can actually say this. Uh, I don't necessarily like to project what we're going to do next because things change, but this isn't going to change. Kings of Summer and Stand by Me. And before I forget, I because I actually did forget until just now, I forgot in my debate class 22 years ago, I remember doing a debate or lecture or something like that on the history of surfing. I spoke, I, I talked what? about surfing for an hour. <laughs> hour. Great. And everybody was from Indiana. It was a farm town and no one gave a shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just the vacant stares in their oh, eyes as I'm telling them about, you know... <laughs> The his- in 1908, Lord have I come into... I can't remember now. But, and they're just like... <laughs> like that first couple sentences, I knew I had made a huge mistake, but I had to go. I had to follow through. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so yeah, those are right. that's our next episode. We'll be back with two more coming-of-age films, Stand By Me and Kings of Summer, like the gentleman just said. I'm the gentleman. This is my radio voice. I'm going to talk like this the whole time. See? That's, that's not, not a radio voice. voice. That's a gangster. That's a, that's that's a gangster, gangster voice. But no, watch the old, watch the Winchell, Walter Winchell. Like, ah, back in 1943. I don't know. I don't know how they talked. I just want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Night. Rounder. Bigger. Wider. More open mouth. I love mayo. <laughs> <laughs> Rack, 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 rack. What?
remember back when you were a creep? Get away from me, you brute. Close your eyes, Michael. Don't be a Barney. This is not good. Podcast. Last time on Video Night. Rounder. Bigger. Wider. More open mouth. I love mayo. (laughs) 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 What? Remember back when you were a creep? Get away from me, you brute. Close your eyes, Michael. Don't be a Barney. This is not good. And now... Hey there, Michael. Well, hello. Part two, Summer Fools. It's the summer. So last episode was a surf movie and a geek movie. And this episode, we're tackling Friends. Not the movie Friends, but Friendship. There's no movie called Uh, Friends. (laughs) You mean the TV show? (laughs) No, the TV show Friends. Not the TV show Friends. It's okay. You can make mistakes like that, Andrew. I'll be there for you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't watch (laughs) I don't watch TV, so I can say movie <laughs> on accident. Okay, so let's just jump in. All right, so because I don't have any clever lead in. No, I was going to start you, singing lollipop. I didn't. I didn't know where to go with that or ask you stupid questions. No, uh, stand by me. Oh man, where do you hear this? Eight o'clock. What is it, man? You guys want to go see a dead body? Columbia Pictures presents. Kids gone. They're never going to find him. Not where they're looking. A Rob Reiner film. I'm never going to get out of this town now, my Gordy. You can do anything you want, man. So die. Stand by me. There's four of us, eyeball. You just make him move. You're dead. Rated R. Now in select cities. Sneak preview August 16th in additional cities. Is basically the quintessential coming of age movie, I think, for our generation. I really can't think of anything that that I think. Well, no, there are movies that are other. There's like The Outsiders and stuff like that that are also you can't compete with. No, like you have Outsiders, you have Stand by Me. To a lesser degree, but only barely. It's uh, the Sandlot for another bunch of kids. Uh, yeah, I would say probably the generation right. Well, okay, hold on. I'm confused by the generation thing. Because all of a sudden, Baby Boomers uh, ended in 65, and I always thought they ended like in 58. But I guess generation is 20 years, right? So am I technically Generation X? I always thought I was at the cutoff of that, and I'm Generation Y. No, you're Generation okay. X. Okay. I'm ge- I'm Generation X. You're Generation X. Generation stuff is bizarre. Dude. I think I'm I'm a little too old for Sandlot. I mean, I like it. I mean, I just did an episode about it. I like it, but it doesn't connect to me, even though it's a retro film. I know, but but you watch it and you you can tell that it's it's almost it's nearly timeless if it wasn't as 90s. Right, but by then I had moved on to action movies, so I really wasn't watching a lot of coming of age movies. You kind of have to see them in your late elementary, junior high years. Once you're in high school, things kind of you're you're taste your focus changes but stand by me dude as a movie that passed me by until i was sick last year really i saw that when i was like 10 right i was couch ridden with a cough and i was like dang it i'm just gonna put it on we had it in voodoo and i had never seen it and i'm like dang it i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this right now and i didn't regret it and even now as an adult I probably understand a lot more things that are said by the kids due to, you know, having lived and knowing what they're saying. Right. Slurs, epithets, and stuff like that, that I probably wouldn't have gotten when I was a child. So, with my brain now, I'm glad I watched it now for the first time. It's weird because, am I wrong in thinking that you're a pretty big Stephen King fan? I mean, I am. I don't, I can't remember. No, I'm a mild Stephen King appreciator. I really love his directorial debut. Maximum are, are you serious? Wow, I'm shocked by this. <laughs> I love it. Okay. It's bizarre. 
It's it a is weird, weird movie. It's it, strange. And it, it's inexplicable in very many ways. Yeah. I've always and, wanted to uh, do... The performances are good, but that's neither here nor yeah, there. Yeah. I've always wondered if, you know, what people fall on the line of, well, I prefer the non-horror Stephen King or the hardcore Stephen King, you know, uh, monsters and slasher kind of stuff. Not slasher, but you know what I mean. Like my mother, of course, she would probably fall more on the line of like Hearts of Atlantis and Misery, Stand By Me, Shawshank. Okay, the the thriller slash drama. Right, uh, Dolores Claiborne and stuff like that. And, and probably the furthest from that horror world is this one, Stand By Me, because there's no supernatural element. There's a macabre yes. element, but that's about it. It's more of a coming-of-age movie driven by that macabre thing. Right. There's Christine is like one of my favorite favorites of that whole Stephen King adaptation sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's also, in a, in a way, is a coming of ages as well. Oh, yeah, that's like the geek turned bad kid. Mm-hmm. This is totally... Like, as you said, a full departure. So I threw Christine in there because it's it's, uh, it's a Stephen King movie that I really, really like. And also that I only recently watched for the first time two years ago. And so I get to things late also because I lived in a household that was very no to rated R or horror movies or things that have cussing in it or a side boob or something. Okay, yeah, well, I had seen this on ABC, so I was allowed to watch it. Most of the movies I saw like this as a kid were edited for television. We rented movies, and we went to the movies a lot, but I feel like most of my consumption of film was off of television. Hmm. Yeah, well, mine was too off of television. You know, remember we talk about those packages that they get where it's literally my sideshow, what did we just watch? It's kind of the very seeds of that show where From Beyond is playing at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. It's insane. It's The term is insane. You, there's a lot of goopy, weird crap going on. There's a lot of bonkers monster stuff. There's a dominatrix chick in it. There's Jeffrey Combs being the, the responsible character yeah. for once. And brain worms! And, brain worms! And brain worms! And it's very colorful and weird. And it's Stuart Gordon Goofest. And that is just playing in the afternoon sometime on a Saturday. And, like, it's cool. And it's cut for like a boob that's it that's what's cut the rest is in maybe a dubbed cuss word or something but that's mind-boggling stuff and that's that's the sort of thing that i would catch on the weekends on tv just like how did why is this even shown (laughs) it's like it's like the the video aisle when you go and you just find the weirdest cover and rent the video for the cover it's like that but you don't have a choice it's just on tv Mm -hmm. that's where i saw a bunch of really good stuff but what always passed me by and also my parents didn't like it because stephen king he writes he's he goes into a trance yeah but what he writes what he writes, he gets possessed to write his books. Oh, that boy, was some, dude. Dude, really? That was some satanic panic stuff about Stephen King's writing. And I don't know if they f- bought it, but they definitely did not oh. like me having Stephen King stuff. On the other end of the spectrum, my mother was very eager to rent a silver bullet. Huh. Like, she took us to this obscure video store in the middle of nowhere, and we found a copy, and we rented it, and we all watched it together. <laughs> so, huh. things are different <laughs> for you, huh? <laughs> Yes, very different. <laughs> so, like, I had Pet Cemetery, and I read that thing. And it didn't really disturb me one way or the other. But also, I wasn't a very great reader, so I would read stuff, and I would be like, okay, I just read something, and it might be the world's most disturbing thing, but I'm just like, that's just a bunch of words that I read. I, I, no, you <laughs> know, I cannot read uh, Stephen King novels. I cannot do it. I can read his short stories. So a lot of those collections, like the Bachman collection, the Night Shift and stuff like that, and Green Mile was easy because the Green Mile, they broke it 
it up, remember, in segments. So they're a lot easier. So I've read The Body, and I can't remember what book it was in. I believe it was also the same one that had Shawshank in it. And uh, But the novels you get buried in because there's so many layers that he keeps on, like, piling on, piling but I don't, on, piling I don't on. need that. Cut the fat. I don't want all that grizzle. Yes, cut the fat. So here's a shameful story. It's the same. It's just a part two of that. So I read that. And then my parents saw that I had it. And then they made me get rid of it. So in massive defiance and hyperbole action, I burned it. Oh. I was like, is this what you want? You want me to burn the book? You want me to burn this book? And it would hardly burn. (laughs) I'm like... There, in your face, is not burning. It's defying you. Anyway. Again, on the other end of the spectrum, I was taken to a trade paperback store to trade in my novels for more horror books. I read so many horror books. <laughs> yeah, but also, at the same time, my parents, and particularly my mom, uh, was watching a lot of true crime stuff, which is true crime uh, and people getting murdered in real yes, life. Yes, yes! I'm trying to watch Twin Peaks here, which is fake. And you're trying to watch... 48 hours or whatever horrible true crime people murdered crime scene photos show on A&E back when they used to do that and we used to get in rows about that not cool. But so so this movie passed me up is my deal. Uh, I want to say real quick, I had a boss who, we had a shared television in the break room at Target. And I had a boss who was super religious, really uptight kind of guy. And he saw we were watching a vampire movie on Sci-Fi Channel for Halloween. And he said, that's not appropriate for work. Let's change it over. He changes over to Law and Order. And the first thing out of the lawyer's mouth is, so this girl was raped or whatever. I was like, this is better? How is this better? That really happens. There's no werewolves. There's no vampires in real life. That weird thing in yeah. people's brain that doesn't understand that law and order and, and those real crime kind of stuff more horrifying than anything that Stephen King could come up with. Which was my case, yes. But, Stephen King reeled it back. You want to see a dead body? Stand by me. Fantastic. Absolutely bittersweet story. But so good. Is does it, is it harder for you now? Because when I saw it, everybody was still intact. You know, River Phoenix was still alive. Corey Feldman hadn't lost his mind. You know, Will Wheaton. And we didn't know any of these kids either. So there's a history now with what you learned from these guys. Did, did it change anything for well, you? Well, let's, th- let's talk about Corey Feldman's performance. Okay. Corey Feldman plays a kid who is abused by his crazy father and thus seen... You know, the sins of the father, the reputation of the father Mm -hmm. is his reputation now. So society at large, uh, as we glean from the story and context, thinks that this kid is a total screw up and never give a total screw up a chance. Side note, always give a total screw-up a chance. Right. So that they can learn to not be a screw-up. This is what's great about mentoring people. If you have somebody that you know that needs a little bit of guidance, be cool and suggest stuff subtly. Not like, well, actually, but like, hey, you know. And that person might understand what that second chance is and straighten up. That's all this kid needed. And he never got it, right? Yeah. So that's well, it's also Feldman. It's character. important that they cast him, too. Rob Reiner must have known, unless it was just by chance. I didn't know this until I read his uh, biography, that he was severely abused by his mother. And he lived in a crazy household where everything was just complete madness at all times. And he would only, you know, he would find his peace in comic books and movies and stuff like that. And he brought, I think, a lot of that over to this performance. That's what I'm getting at. But also, not just that, but the Hollywood machine chewing him up at the same time right this is just about the time maybe before he met Haim and they became the two Corys right it's just yeah the but year before at the same time they were being abused 
by the system in various ways. So I don't really subscribe to the method version of acting, but because acting is just pretend, but you can definitely go, wait, I relate to this emotion here of being pushed down and considered trash by my own family or by the situation that I've ever been in. And the script says, this is what the kid's going through. Oh, I can totally, I can totally do that. And it seems like that's what he did in the film. Especially where he goes off on the Death Wish kid. Mm -hmm. Because he's on the the train tracks and he's like, I'm going to dodge it. And River's like, no. And he holds him down. I was going to dodge it. I was going to dodge it. Eventually, they get a chance to dodge it and he realizes how terrifying it is. But they get a chance to dodge it because the train is actually bearing down on them. And they are on a bridge. And they can't outrun the train. This, the movie's fantastic. If you haven't seen it like I hadn't, just you're missing out. Yeah, and the basic plot is just these four kids getting together to find a body. Now, I'm trying to remember, Kiefer Sutherland and his gang, they wanted to discover the body first so they could become famous for it? Well, yeah, the whole thing is, like, get on the news and you'll you'll be famous and probably get a reward mm-hmm. because this kid had gone missing. And nobody knew where he was. They thought that maybe he just skipped town, you know, because kids run away, hard life, and whatever. And then Casey Semesco, is that how you say his name? I think so. What the heck? This guy is a chameleon back in the 80s and early 90s. He's a chameleon. I love him. He was in this movie as a, a sort of a juvenile delinquent, a hoodlum, in a, in a hoodlum in waiting, you know, the underling of Kiefer Sutherland. In a year, he would play a normal dorkyish guy. Mm -hmm. And totally believable. In 3 O'Clock High, actually my favorite high school movie. Really? Yes. In 94, he plays a tough farm owner in of mice and men like a real heel yeah well let's not forget about young guns oh right and in young guns oh my god right like he is amazing in everything that i've ever seen him play i don't know if you've ever seen breaking in with burt reynolds where he's his protege to take over the uh no breaking I in, you know breaking entry it's really good john sales wrote it hmm. no i haven't but He's fantastic in everything. Here, he's the older brother of Vern, played by Jerry O'Connell. And he's a bully older brother. That's exactly the role. And he has the information about, I heard about this kid, and this is where he is by the tracks over this way. And so this is how Vern overhears it, because he's, this is awesome. He buried a jar of pennies under the house, and then his mom trashed the map to it. And he's been digging for the pennies. And he overheard his brother talking about this dead body. And then his brother... And his buddy are like, no, let's not tell Ace because he's just going to want to, you know. And so they don't for a while. And it comes out that they eventually do. So then Ace is like, guess what we're going to do? But the kids are already on their way, but they don't have a car. They don't have means to get there. And so they have this bonding experience. They don't even want Vern along. But what do you think about the characters of the kids? Are they all like real types? Did you have friends like this when you were 12? I, I had a couple pretty solid friends. They were wildly different. One was super smart, super rich, wanted to be a professional skateboarder, and we loved movies. We loved movies. We went to them all the time. Then I had my other friend, John, who was kind of an outcast because it lived in kind of a racist area, and his mother was Vietnamese. Hmm. So he was mixed race, and I think he always felt like he was a little bit out of the loop of normal suburban life. I, I don't I know how to say it, but I always felt like there's something like different about and he was very close to being like Chris Chambers. He really had a lot of heart, but he struggled because he was an outsider. Okay. And Chris Chambers is the River Phoenix character. Yeah, I, I, and I was basically the Gordy. I was a, a 
nerdy little guy, super sensitive, with a mix of maybe a little bit of Teddy, because I was a little obnoxious, especially as I got to my junior high years. I didn't really know anybody like Vern, but I know that there's people out there like that. Like, I wasn't close friends with them, but this is the guy who was almost insufferable, like just kind of like that. Okay, no, I did have a friend like that who was kind of a doofus, but yeah. he was always ready to go along with anything. Like, uh-huh. if you want to go do something, you always had somebody like, okay, you want to go? He's like, sure. But then you like try to have a conversation with them. You're like, oh, this is not going anywhere. I didn't know how I was so close. I was close friends with him for like a decade. And it's just one of those things where you got so comfortable having him around that yeah. he became normal. But you, if you sit back and, you know, your parents just look at you going, he's, he's nothing like you. Why do you hang out with him? I was like, I don't know, because if I want to go to a movie and I don't want to go by myself, he's always right. there. <laughs> so who I relate to in feeling is Vern. But just realistically, I was more like a combination of Chris and Gordo. Like, Chris had the common sense sort of thing and the questioning and, like, don't, like, why are you not pursuing your writing life, Gordo? This is what you're good at. So he had that, like, understanding of certain things. And right. I, he, I, was I, a, he was the one that was probably the most mature, like, three or four years ahead of Yeah, and I'm not saying I was else. most mature because I'm incredibly naive to this day. I'm naive about certain things and slang and whatever. I can't I can't hang a lot because my really that's a thing you know that <laughs> that's me a lot of times. Did am, am I the one that texted you about what is woke? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if you texted me about woke, but it sounds like a conversation we may have had. But but, I, but see, my skepticism is because I not so much I didn't know what it was. I wanted to know why they chose that word. I was like, why not awake? Why woke? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So I'm like realistically like a combination of two of them. I didn't really have the rage of Feldman's character. Even though I was a picked on kid, I didn't have the rage. But the characters, how they interact, I usually cannot stand it. Monster Squad, they're just yelling at each other, calling each other names. I can't stand it because I don't believe their relationships. And maybe they developed into real friends in real life later on uh, during the making of the movie and afterwards what well, they obviously did they went on to make these podcasts and specials about monster squad and their life right now a documentary they're, apparently they're, yeah and, and they're they're best friends in real life now and you could probably tell but in the movie i i couldn't tell they're just kids yelling at each other saying what adults think kids do shut up doofus shut up fart face dumb brain whatever well i think a lot of it is because rob reiner took the kids up early and had them like i think if i that was that that or Goonies maybe it was both where they would spend time together on set you know rehearsing and just kind of having natural conversations before actual filming began well that's actually how you're supposed to do a movie Uh, I just realized that I've been to three locations where consecutive movies I've been to Astoria yeah. Uh, for Goonies, I've been to Santa Cruz for Lost Boys, yeah. and I live right down the road from Brownsville, which is where Stand By Me takes place. And, you uh, are film. stalking Feldman in the weirdest way. I am. It's strange. And it's also <laughs> a very, very small town. My God, is it a small town. And every summer they hold a massive music festival there. And I'm just like, that whole little town, that three-block town, must be overwhelmed. Yeah, probably. See, what do you say about this movie that hasn't been said by so many people before. That's true. It is a little hard to talk about some of the bigger movies that we do on the show, but we also are smart enough to know we need a hook or two to bring right. you in. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so the story that Gordo tells, it's about the puking pie scene. What do you think of that? I Well, I also get it confused with the story that Chunk tells in Goonies. 
<laughs> when I was a kid, I for some reason I flick I flipped the movies around. I watched both of those on a loop constantly as a child. Stand by me. It's it's just. What do you mean? Like the story itself is just farce. It's just a silly, rampant, imaginative. He doesn't seem like he's smart enough to tell that story. Do you think that's the truth, Gordo? At the no, time? God, no, 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 no. Well, hold on. Who tells the story again? Gordo. It's one. Of- oh sh- no, 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 no. Gordo is smart enough. He- hold on. He made that up. He's smart enough to make that up. I thought. I- for some reason, I got uh, lost and I thought that Vern told the story. No, no. Because Vern, Vern was like, right. uh, he wanted to hear the story, and then and Teddy is like, nah, that's the ending's lame. You need a better ending, like where. He, he goes home and kills his dad. <laughs> it's just like, no. That's messed up. The ending is a good ending where he just sits back and watches everybody puke. But I thought that from years, years of having never seen the movie, if you asked me, I would just say there's a part where a kid pukes. I don't know how it works into everything. But the framework is just a little short story that he tells, and then it's just shot and filmed. I found that to almost be an odd thing to do in the movie because mm-hmm. the movie doesn't get into any sort of fiction it's all presented as real and then it's like here's this fiction and it's this whimsical moment darkly whimsical uh, and it's amusing but i it's just, it's just a strange little moment in the film that almost doesn't belong but it still belongs because it belongs, yeah it belongs it belongs there's nothing wrong with this film at all no and it's surprising how many people did come out of this like immediately after this this is like right before Kiefer Sutherland broke out I, I just realized Kiefer Sutherland and Casey Semesco were in the first episode of Amazing Stories you know the one where it's the World War 2 plane and the tires yeah, going the out but he's trapped underneath it right yeah. and Casey's the cartoonist right that's a really good one too holy um, crap man also yeah. uh, John, John Cusack, Cusack right after, yes yeah. as the big Three. brother in the flashbacks and that is such a that actually right and that's a heartbreaking that's that, well that driver. is the thing that I always wanted with my big brother that I never got what for him to die no, the relationship. Oh, that, oh, oh, and that's the upright in the flashback scene. Okay. The reason why his death hurts so much is because his brother was such a caring and loving guy to his kid brother. And Gordo missed that so much. And my brother, when he hit puberty, turned into a jerk. That's terrible, dude. I'm sorry. I don't. I wonder if I turned into a jerk for my sister. Hmm. Your sister? I, I don't feel like younger. I yeah, she's three years younger than me. Hmm. Yeah, he's five years older than me. So it's that big difference of age. So he turned into like just pushed me around, give me orders, and he turned into a jerk. You know, I always wanted a big brother to be cool with me, but he never was. So there are reasons. I'm older now. We're okay with each other now. So Yeah. There's two or three things that really stand out for me in this movie. And I think that's why I watched it over and over and over is that it actually did scare me without being a monster. Oh. What? What the, scared you? The, what was le- the, thing? The, the leeches scared the crap out of me as a <laughs> kid. I don't know why. I was like, just, I didn't even know what a leech was. I didn't understand. And there was blood coming from his crotch. And I was confused. And Kiefer Sutherland is terrifying, especially at the end. I mean, he gets to the point where he's ready to put a blade in Chris's neck. Yeah, this is what i was wondering if that's a scene that scared you or got you all tense when you were a kid right and seeing the body itself was something i just couldn't deal with even though i had seen so many people killed on film oh, you know right. i mean i'd watch i'd watch conan the barbarian i'd watch raiders lost ark you know uh, i think i'd seen red dawn so it's, dead bodies weren't a thing but are you serious really... wait red dawn you had already seen which also so. is something that i did see as well which is for a pg-13 film one of the most traumatic films that you could see as a child i had seen rambo 2 guy had seen so many action movies by this point so many people die you know pg-13 movies or pg movies were different back then but i just remember something about how rob reiner shot it that there was so much weight to that body 
I don't I don't know it's so so much realism in it that I the first time I had seen it I had to look away. Well, it's reminiscent of River's Edge. This actually whole plot is reminiscent of River's Edge when it comes to your body. But uh, River's Edge is based on a true story too, whereas this one is based on Stephen King's childhood i think and just the idea right an interesting macguffin that isn't a thing an item but is a body of a person and kids being fascinated with death confronting death they confront death all the time in this movie it's crazy yeah i think it's because it wasn't dealt in a glorified manner like the way a lot of action and adventure movies did at that time the other movie that it reminds me of that also traumatized me was taps which when those kids died also, that's the other thing, is that, you know, he's not an adult that he finds. It's it's a, still it's a technically kid, yeah. a kid, yeah. He was hit by a train. And in your head, you're like, a child can die? I don't understand. How is this possible? Like, it just, it just you like, never broke my show, brain. You can have kids in peril in the 80s, but you hardly ever have them killed. Right. If you can kill them, it, they got to be a vampire kid who's actually... A hundred years well, old. <laughs> they do it in Silver Bullet, but they don't. Sh- they sh- it's off screen. Remember, they show his shoes or something hanging. Yeah, from oh, in Mad Max, they yeah. have a kid run down by a car, and they show his right. shoes and a ball get knocked into the street, and that's all you see. Very clever, but that's all you see. And I don't want to see a kid get hit. No, no, no. Or a train or anything. So or dogs. I don't want to see dogs. So this movie treats death. It's very seriously, like it's a real thing, and that kids actually know about it and have to confront it. Yeah, and it's it's not fantastical. The other thing is about the group of thugs, and this is a reoccurring theme in a lot of Stephen King stuff. So it must have been rough for him growing up because it's an it, and sometimes they come back. I feel like there's another one where it's about these greaser kids. It's like the exact opposite of Outsiders, where they're not just broken kids who you know are looked down on by the system. These are like true thugs. Yeah. So the Outsiders are good kids who who are, are looked down and then these are what everybody thinks the outsiders are right ace is the only one that really seems vicious the rest of them are just like you know sub-level bullies they're just like hanger-ons yeah, which I've, yeah. hey, don't... I've had that in my life where it's just like you got the main bully and the other ones just want to kind of like i don't know if they're afraid of him which this is the way it seems to stand by me or they want a, a, a taste of his power because when you get to the end, oh, it's also mentioned Gary Riley from Summer School is one of them. And then Greg Bradley, who was uh, later in um, Class of 1999 and Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, stuff like that, uh, is Eyeball. You can't have a great greaser without a nickname. Soda Pop. <laughs> <laughs> those are part of the game too and i was scared i was bullied a lot at this time and it would it would amp up as i got older so i was really afraid of them oh yeah i was bullied too but only by the jocks there were no hoodlums were just no 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 no. we didn't have hoodlums actually i somehow through a weird turn of events i ended up turning into a hoodlum for a brief moment <laughs> um don't, don't ask it's weird i was rebelling hard no it was the, it was the rich boy jocks They're, those are the ones that beat the crap out of me they yeah. always beat the crap out of me it was never the hoodlums because we were poor so uh, in a way, I think the what you would consider the 90s version of greasers, I guess Heshers, found me interesting because I don't know if they thought I was slumming or what, but they uh, did reject me. Hmm, okay. I can't believe we spent almost the entire episode talking about this one movie, but it's, it's really significant to me as a kid. I watched this quite a bit. So, obviously, I really really appreciate, and I almost lament having not seen Stand By Me for so long, but I really love that movie. There. But the next flick, I like, not love, there are reasons why I only like it. It's Kings of Summer. This is the side of our new house, man. Don't miss the film critics are calling the sleeper hit of the summer. No parents. 
We make the rules. Take some heart. The Kings of Summer is fresh. Do you think that Joe would run away to prove a point? A true gem. We don't know that they've run away. You're right. It's a classic kidnapping. They took our children and the canned goods and pasta. In Dell Magazine raves, The Kings of Summer makes for the perfect summer movie. The Kings of Summer. Rated R. And I thought for a brief moment before Kings of Summer, I thought about adding Staten Island Summer, and then I finished it, and I was like, nope. <laughs> Staten Island Summer is just a funny, silly movie. Yeah, it's it's but it's nothing really special. It's just uh, I was surprised when I saw the pedigree behind it, and then after I was watching, I was like, man, I could watch Adventureland or the way way back there, better versions of that. Yeah, movie. you got it. And this, you said pedigree. This movie, Kings of Summer, has pedigree, and I think it's almost to its detriment. This is why I just like it. I don't love it, and it's because of all the adults. They're played by big time comic actors whose reputations get in the way of every character they play because they've played certain specific characters for their uh, significant portion of their careers. And now, whenever they play any other character in any other movie or TV show, you're like, oh yeah, that's Ron Swanson. Yeah, I've never seen him. Even when he's good in The Founder, I still feel like he's playing the same character over and over and over. Yeah, he's got a very specific one-type delivery of everything and you can play it a little bit looser like this one's a little bit looser he's not as tight he's very sarcastic he's the father of a child a young boy he's actually a widower and the young boy's sister is played by Alison Brie who is cool I guess but she also does Alison Brie I don't know if you've seen Alison Brie in interviews, but she does this thing where she's carrying on with her co-star in the interviews, whatever, if it's a double interview. And she does this uh, head turn of like, no, I don't think that's right. And it's kind of like a cute, whimsical face that she makes. And that's totally Alison Brie being funny, Alison Brie. That's an, a thing that she just does as Alison Brie. And she does that a few times in this, especially while they're playing Monopoly. She's sitting there and they're carrying on and her boyfriend is being really, really awkward. That guy is always awkward. His comedy is to be awkward. So so her performance, just to me, since I've seen enough interviews with Alison Brie, it just seems a bit Alison Brie improv as opposed to a character, right? So this is a sort of thing that I'm starting to pick up. Ron Swanson. Too much Ron Swanson because he can't play anything other than that yeah his wife megan mullally plays the mother of another boy the kid's best friend his parents are very overbearing and in a too comical fashion like i can't imagine anybody actually being this way so all of the adults don't make any sense to me as to how they're portrayed it sounds like i don't like this movie i like this movie all of the adults though don't make sense as they're portrayed they they're portrayed as caricatures of adults and i wonder if that's intentional or if that's just the trappings of a modern comedy. Right. Well, okay. So there's movies where the script isn't done. You know, we've seen this. Uh, Lethal Weapon 4, uh, Austin Powers 2, where clearly there's no script. So they just wing it the entire time. Then there's stuff like, you know, classic Chevy Chase, where he would wing a, a line or here or two. It was clearly obvious. You know, there's like, you know, when he would say a line, it would just kind of meander off. But now I feel like entire scenes now are meandering off. Where the director's just like, ah, do what you guys do. What you guys do. And sometimes... It works. Sometimes it doesn't. And most of the time, I think it's because the director is too weak to corral his uh, actors. Like, I love Semi-Pro, but you know that 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 director was chosen probably by Will Ferrell because Will Ferrell said this guy would just, you know, do what he does and he'll leave me be so I can just wing it through a lot of scenes. I'm guessing that it got greenlit because of those names attached. 
and he just shut his pie hole um, when it came to them improving because he didn't want to be fired or, or he was just too grateful. I, mean, I just can't imagine without those guys this movie would have been given the, the decent uh, budget that it was. So you're, you're kind of, from what you just said, correct me if I'm wrong, and elaborate. You kind of think that it's the trappings of modern comedy versus intentional. Yeah. Well, thankfully, that stuff that I don't like in the movie is the lesser part of the film as far as time-wise. The better parts of the film are the kids running away. So two boys run away, and uh, one boy has a crush on a girl uh, who is totally hanging out with a douchebag guy who's totally a minor character. But this boy just has had enough of it with his dad. So he, after leaving a party with... A kid who's just tagging along. Very weird kid is just tagging along. By the way, did you know that's the kid from that Van Damme TV show? The one with the big dreads and the goatee? That's the same actor. Huh, I didn't know. So, that little kid, hes I say little because he's like two feet tall. He's really short. He just tags along and then they find this clearing and then he's like, this is it. What is it? We're going to build a place here. So he gets his best friend and they come, they they go and they look at this place and then they decide that they're going to just, on the weekends, build a place. And once they're done building that place, they're going to just move in. Once they move in, they've run away. Oh, danger. The parents have no idea where they've gone. Which is interesting. When you were growing up, did you have any sort of like, you, you know, just do whatever you did? Um, no, my parents were not know where you were about that. I think there was a lot of paranoia going on, so especially since I lived in the city where you know, they worried that I would be kidnapped or something like that. So I wasn't even allowed to ride my... I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I couldn't ride my bike uh, past my block. I could, go to, I could go to school, which was right down the street, which was a block hmm. away, but I couldn't go past a certain point. And of course, as I got older, they would let me go further. Further, I had to stay within my immediate suburb. Then I could go within, like, you know how there's a suburb within a, a big block of suburbs? You know, so, so so then I could extend out to that. Yeah, yeah. And of yeah. course, being the rebellious pain in the ass that I am, that I would cross this road, I would end up hanging out at the video store for a couple hours, even though I couldn't, I could not rent a movie. In fact, I was told, I was told to leave about the third or fourth time <laughs> in. Because I had never rented it anything. I just looked at the movies and discussed it with my friends who had also never seen the movies. Most of them horror. I was asked by the owner to leave because they didn't know my parents, that I didn't rent anything. I didn't have an account there, so I was loitering. <laughs> well, technically you were loitering, but they, you're, they yeah, were probably like this twerp. Get him out of here. Yeah, so it was like that. But, you know, I would go out to my grandmother's house and there was a big forest behind it. This is like... A new developing suburb, so it's still a mixture of like you know brand new homes and uh, wildness. Yeah. So we would wander through the woods for hours, um, and then come back, which is still a shock because this is the same grandmother who would make me come in from baseball after an hour because I was sweating and she hated the smell of sweat, and I would have to wipe down. So yeah, I have a, I have a weird childhood. I'm just realizing how. <laughs> None, none of it none of it lines up the logic of it doesn't work yeah I didn't have this excursion sort of thing very often myself but I lived in Marino Valley California which is just brown valley uh-huh. that's what it means brown valley because it's just dirt it is a valley we're dirt farmers it's between five peaks and apparently these five peaks of low mountains make a pentagram that's what people 
purported, and I think that that's really funny, so I worked that into what? my Doombug 13 comic. You can find that online, Doombug 13, look it up. And uh, the opening two pages establish that there's a pentagram made out of peaks, <laughs> like Marina Valley. Uh, anyway, I thought that was funny. Uh, that people are like, oh my god, it's such a horrible place. <laughs> it's just the desert, guys. So, like you, I would ride around my block and stuff like this. But as long as I was back at a certain time is what I was told. Yeah. Well, I mean, what age group are you talking though? By the time I was 15, I was able, I was able to go anywhere I wanted in town. Just ride my bike all over. You know, well, these kids are like back for 14, hours. 15, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I guess at this point it was further out. I, 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 I couldn't tell you what I did. I just remember wandering all over, dry, riding even my bike out into the country and getting lost and having to work my way back. Yeah. So I I never had a, an impulse to run away though. Like if, if there was any turmoil at home or if I felt like overbeared by my brother or something. I would still just be like, well, I've got food here. I've got shelter here. I have a working bathroom and a bathtub, shower, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I never thought about running away. Yeah, I'm cool. I ran away in the way that Calvin and Hobbes runs away. I'm going to the backyard and hide behind a tree for a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these kids, though, at least two of them have reasons to run away. The littlest guy has no reason to run away, except he just likes to be included. Mm-hmm. And he's strangely cute, but the kid is so weird it is but i got there's so much joy in that dance sequence where they're pounding on the metal and he's just bouncing around on top of it 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 fills me so much joy (laughs) yeah so there's a lot of really cool stuff and it's all the stuff where they're building and hanging out and learning how to hunt and uh just doing the woodland thing but also the theme is the kid the main kid wants to be an adult so hard and so fast because he's just tired of being treated like he's insignificant which i find fascinating do you know any young people um no well i mean i like i work with a 19 year old that's probably the youngest person i know okay but i don't know any i don't know any kids so i play video games sometimes and red dead redemption had this you know you use your headphone microphone thing and you can talk to people and i ended up meeting a bunch of people far and wide across the states and europe some scottish guys some kid from kentucky and the kid from kentucky was 10 years old when i met him and then i ended up playing with him a lot and then talking to his parents because i was like because the kid was starting to confide in me so i was like can i talk to your parents right now i hear your dad in the background so i introduced myself on a video game system to his dad and i'm like here's me here's what i'm about your kid seems to have taken to me i'm fine with that but i want you to know that i'm playing games and i'm just an advice guy maybe so i became this kid's mentor and the kid's now like 19 soon so but what i did is i just straight up talked to him like he was a human being as opposed to talking to him like he was a child Mm -hmm. and which you know because i think a lot of them get angry because you're condescending to him yeah so so this kid in this movie is really this is the thing that i picked up most that he's constantly condescended by his father which is, I think, a form of abuse. His dad is being a jerk. Isn't being a jerk abusive, right? So this kid uh-huh. is feeling it, so he has to get out. He has to leave. The other kid is, uh, it's just like he's smothered. That's what it is. Oh, God. When they say, watch your tone, mister. I'm like, hey, what? I don't know what he just did. What happened he, now? He said, <laughs> yes, mom. Uh, whoa, tone, buddy. So eventually, it's it's a, there's a lot of time wasting, really, with in the woods. It's not in a bad way, but it's like no plot really moving forward, except no, no, for no. the relationships being built stronger, stronger, and then there's tension because one of the boys, his friend, ends up getting with the girl that he liked. But it's just this thing that happened. It wasn't intentionally to hurt him. And so there's the stupid high school thing. Relationships get in the way. Ever have that happen with you? 
your friends ditch you for a girl? Ditch me? Yes. For someone that uh, broke up... Oh, God. So my roommate in college, uh, who was my bestie... I didn't say the word. Ugh. I almost wanted to puke in my own mouth saying that. <laughs> no, uh, he was my best friend. And uh, real early on in freshman year, he gets a letter from the girl who... She would constantly break up with him. She broke up with him at his graduation party for Pete's sake when we're all there and made him cry. And then we're getting ready to come home for homecoming. And she tells him that she's breaking up with him, that she's dating our friend. And kind of destroyed him and it turned to one of these things where they kept get, just getting back together over and over and he was with a really good girlfriend and he broke up with her to get back with the old girlfriend uh. who treated him like garbage and i just remember one summer just sitting there going dude you ditch everything he even literally told us he was just like man i gotta work super hard in this relationship this time i can't hang out with you guys this summer i gotta be just like locked in on this one make sure it doesn't fail again and i'm like i think you already failed because you became now completely obsessed with her and and lo and behold, a semester later, I would constantly find him in our room playing guitar, crying with candlelights going. I'm like, oh, God, this woman, this woman. <laughs> Thankfully, it ended up well because he did end up marrying that other girlfriend that he should have been with in the first place. Oh, gosh. Wow. That other one is it's a trooper. No kidding. Like, no, years later, they got back together. And I was just shocked when they found each other. I was like, oh, thank God for Facebook. <laughs> ah, cool. So my situation was my best friend. I didn't have a girlfriend in high school at all. He had a girlfriend. He was the better looking of the two. Maybe not the better looking. I don't know. He was the one that was most confident. Definitely. I didn't have a lot of confidence. But he met this girl and they became uh, an item. And then whenever she was around and we were having a conversation, I'm in the middle of a sentence, she would mumble something or peep or whatever. And he would ignore the conversation and focus solely on her. And this happened too many times for me to appreciate. And I had had it. So I got out of the car once afterwards. I just like stopped talking. I just stopped talking in the middle and he didn't pick up the conversation. So I was like, all right, bye. I get out of the car and I leave. Come back to school and there's all this tension because of that. And I just decided I wasn't going to talk to him for a while. And it, that's the kind of thing of where a girl got in the way of our relationship. And eventually it came out where the reason why was. You know, and it was very big and emotional, just like in this movie is big and emotional. So this movie has a lot of things that are very accurate <laughs> with the kids. But with the parents, how they depict them, I wonder if it's depicted also that way from the kids perspective, like parents are a joke. This is why I was asking if it's maybe scripted that they're this obnoxious and, and obviously like performery. But from my perspective, everything was dead serious. I took my parents seriously when they were being ridiculous or great. I took them seriously. I really enjoyed them being great. I really didn't enjoy them being ridiculous. You know what I mean? So I find this movie very strange like that. There's a rescue scene, though, with a rattlesnake. Right, right. I actually like the scene before that when he has to learn how to uh, kill his first, uh, was it, like a possum or something? He has to kill it and learn how to eat it or whatever. And I was just like, oh, that's, okay, I guess that is the reality of what would have to happen if you're going to stay out there and you have no food. You're going to have to learn how to do this. Gross. Yeah. And and then he, he is uh, stuck in the house that they built with the snakes. And his dad comes to rescue him. Oh, well, he doesn't even know that he's rescuing him. But the girl that he likes and the dad show up. And he saves the girl by getting in between the snake and her. And our little tiny dude comes along with a machete and ends up getting bitten. But I have a question for you. Have you ever been in 
in your formative years in danger with a wild animal like that? It doesn't have to be a snake. It could be a coyote. It could be no, a bullfrog. No, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, if I said bullfrog, okay? Not that they're uh, dangerous. No, you know what I do remember? It wasn't a wild animal. It was a dog. My dad was delivering newspapers, and I would go with him sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I just remember sitting in the car. I can't, I can't remember why. Maybe he knew that dog was a problem. That's why he had me stay in the car. All of a sudden, I see my dad hauling butt all the way around the car, jumping in. and doesn't make it, and it gets him in the rump or something like that, and he had to get rabies shot. Why is your dad naked? What? No, no, oh. no. It bit through Oh, it doesn't pants. make yeah. it? No, he doesn't make it. <laughs> Not make it. Why would my father deliver newspapers naked? I literally heard you say, and he does it naked. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And he only lasted one week. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a typo. It's like autocorrect screws up your sentence, but like it was audio correct. Yeah, I heard yeah. does it naked instead of doesn't make it. No, <laughs> that that was the only time. But I wasn't in danger. I was in the car at the time. But um, that that was that's the only time I can think of anything where we came uh, possible danger. I can't think of any other animal because you know I didn't live in in places where there was uh, snakes and wolves and bears. Even now, I mean, you hear rumors about mountain lions or something like that or a bear, but I mean I I, didn't, I haven't seen it. I actually happened so huh. so where i lived also in southern california nearby was a better town riverside a lot of people would laugh at that because <laughs> riverside hardly better than marina valley but whatever it's like four miles away there was a little tiny kind of oasis part called canyon crest and there was this little uh, thing called a waterfall you could pull off the side of the road and walk a few yards and then there would be this old super old waterfall that the water was just trickling now but it used to be such a torrent that it bored through rock so there was the stone down below that had a circle almost perfect circle bored through it just from where water went and it's clear now there's no more water in there so there's there's a trickle and then the ledge and i would go down there and i went down there with my buddy and he was up there on the ledge with his girlfriend and a different guy and i went down there and this guy is uh, kind of my trouble friend he was a, a pushy guy he was a real rich kid and if he didn't get his way he would throw a tantrum type of stuff no. And I kind of sometimes like to punish him because he was kind of a jerk. So I would prank him and I, I was pranking him where I was just, I disappeared. And I, I was just in the hole inside of a stone. Okay. Yeah. It's like a very large barrel size. So I'm just sitting down there. It's in the dark and I'm just sitting down there and I had a flashlight with me and I decided to holler like I fell. <laughs> and then he hears that and then I hear him go, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Oh my god. And I can see his flashlight up on the ledge above me. So it's like 20 feet higher than me. Maybe even higher than that. But I'm down in this hole and I'm like, I'll turn on my flashlight. Maybe he'll see it. So I turn on my flashlight and there's a scorpion next to my head. Holy crap. Scorpion next to my head. And then you hear me actually holler. A real holler. Ah! <laughs> you know? And I pop out of the hole. I don't get the scorpion smacking my head. It's just on the side of the wall. But it's like so close to me. And I'm like, yeah, I gotta get out of here. I had no idea I was surrounded by a scorpion. No idea. So that's one. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Crickets. Crickets. Want to hear the actual snake story? Okay, go ahead. So this was older. I'm now a young adult. I'm like 18, I think. And my parents go to this church who is like very gun friendly. So they're like, we're gonna go out shooting in the desert. And so I'm like, sure, I've never gone. So I grabbed my friend Alan, totally different friend. And Alan and I go, and Alan's pretty responsible with a gun. These are 22s that are like the A-team guns that they always had. Uh-huh. And we're out walking with this other guy who was a discharged Marine 
Marine, he never made it past boot camp because he had back issues. So they discharged him. I think they discharged him on grounds that he's a screw up and back issues was easy way to get him out of there. Because we're walking and then we hear that and Alan and I stop. We're standing right next to a bush. We don't see anything yet. We look down at the bush. We don't see anything. Oh my gosh, there it is. It's a young rattler. Very venomous. About 20 feet away, that other guy was, the Marine. I'm just going to call him the Marine. He's standing there. Oh, so it was, uh... Who played the Marine? Dang it. Who's the actor? John Cena. (laughs) No, it's not John Cena. No, it's Marine. I forget his name. But Alan and I have a bush between us. We're on either side of the bush, but over to the side of the bush, in front of the bush from the Marine. And we're standing with about a foot and a half to two feet between us. The snake is in there. Alan and I are discussing... Should we or shouldn't we kill it? We should maybe kill it because it's so close and very dangerous to us. Because one of us could move and it could strike. We're discussing this. We're being very level-headed. I don't want to kill anything. Alan doesn't want to kill anything. But it might be a necessity. All of a sudden we hear a gunshot go. And then we hear right in front of us, between us. It's the Marine shooting at the snake between us. He's basically shooting at me and Alan. Holy crap. We pick up our guns and point them at him instinctually and say, stop shooting. And he like goes, oh, like hands up like like he's Neil deGrasse Tyson going, oh, okay, like that. What Are you crazy? Put your gun down. We took his gun away from him. Alan killed the snake. He had to. It was just way too dangerous. That was the snake story. Sorry for killing the snake. Wow. I've never killed an animal. I have never shot a gun. You know what's weird is I lived in a farm town in Indiana, you know, the heart of you know, Red State, basically. Yeah. I knew two people who had guns. My family was one of them. It was a 22 from my grandfather that just sat in the garage up, get, you know, up in its little uh, case, you know, uh, hidden up high or whatever, get covered in cobwebs. I didn't know anybody who had a gun. I hardly knew a single person who hunted, and he did it with a bow and arrow. And it's so strange. The culture now is all just like NRA everything. Everybody's got to got you know have has guns back there, and I'm just like yeah. These what people changed? just had these people had the guns. We didn't have the guns. We just borrowed them. Yeah, it's just. So. Strange. It's just that's not a thing. You think, and now it's just nonstop, and it's, it's so strange. I mean, I live in Oregon too now, and it's just hardcore. Everybody hunts and fishes, and it's just so strange because I've never been interested in doing any of that. Technically, I had a fishing pole, but it wasn't to actually catch fish. It was just so I could hang out with my buddies, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's the snake story. That's the gun story. I never picked up a gun after that and actually used it. And I only shot it like an apple. So this movie, though, I mentioned it was directed by Jordan Vogt Roberts. He went on to make. Kong Skull Island. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. It's the only Kong movie I like. <laughs> I know it is blasphemy. Ex- no, it's, it's not blasphemy. So pre- There's no. They're so pretentious and boring and proper. This was fun. It was wild. There is no such thing as a blasphemous or controversial opinion when it comes to movies, unless you're talking about Adam Sandler movies then there's controversy. But Kong is a beautiful movie, and I I can believe, I can almost not believe that it came from the same director, but I can believe it came from the same director because of how the nature is shot. Because Kings of Summer has beautiful photography in the nature. He loves the trees. He loves the environment. And so he shoots it with that care. And then you see Kong, and that just turns it up with a bunch of neon smoke, 
and it's amazing. It's, it's got the same. It's, it's funny too. It's funny. I mean, John C. Riley in it is a great uh, John Goodman. It opens up with a very funny scene, you know, between John Goodman and who is the dude? Now, who cares? It's not the story, but yeah, I can't. John name, Goodman uh, and whomever. But here's the thing about this director, Jordan Vogt Roberts. You know, he was almost murdered. How? He, after his success with Kong, because he decided in order to do Kong, because the script was Vietnam, so he wanted to check out Vietnam and shoot on location. So they checked out a bunch of spots and he fell in love with Vietnam and it made, it was his happy place in the world. And after they shot the movie and finished it, he became a hotshot director. People loved him. He went back to Hollywood and he was being dragged like Stretch Armstrong between projects and ideas and stuff. And so he was like, this is not for me. So he went and lived in Vietnam and he became the tourist ambassador for Vietnam. So he was going to spearhead a bunch of tourism advertisements stuff and short films for tourism and whatever. He was in one night while he was hanging out at this club in Vietnam. Some guys came in and beat him and his crew nearly to death. Wow. Guys, a.k.a. gangsters, drug dealers, drug runners. And you can check it out on GQ. There is an article right now about it. Attack on Skull Island is what it's called. And you can read up about it. But he ended up doing a lot of detective work himself. And they... They are zeroing in or have zeroed in on who is responsible for nearly killing him. Wow, that's insane. It is insane. But he still loves Vietnam, but but there's trauma associated with it. And they may have successfully taken it away from him. So from a sweet indie about boys in nature all the way to King Kong and almost getting killed. Um, I, I, I will say this. The, both movies have a quality that I think under the right circumstances could be viewed by everybody as long as your parents aren't too uptight. Yes. I think a lot a lot of these nostalgia summer comedies now seem to be R-rated. And I like, yeah, I know. I get that. I get that's how teenagers talk. I don't want to watch them talk like that. I want to escape from that world like super bad. I just sit there and I watch the first five minutes. I'm like, oh, I need a shower. It's, yeah, no, terrible. well, these movies are neither hard like super bad and gross like super bad, but yeah. they do both have the language thing going on. They are rated R for such reasons. It's just language. It's just like the cavalier way of kids speaking. I remember kids when I was in Holland telling me that it's okay to cuss as long as I don't mean it. <laughs> right, but it's also the context of what's yeah. said. Yeah, so so I don't, I don't know. I, I do like these movies. Of course, the one I love is Stand By Me. The one I like is Kings of Summer. Oh, no. Stand By Me is just the absolute epitome of fantastic cinema. I mean, that's why people really think 80s movies are so great is because there was that whole genre of teens could do anything. And as minor as it is, it's still like this this epic journey across, you know, to find a dead body. I mean, that's not that's not something kids normally do. So it no. captures the imagination, you know. They could just do anything in the 80s. And stuff that's coming about now, of course, because now everybody's nostalgic for that time period. So you're seeing a lot of that in like Stranger Things and uh, The Babysitter and stuff like that. Kings of Summer is not a nostalgic throwback. It's a movie for now. Right. There's no there's no fantastic elements, so I appreciate that that it doesn't try to go beyond slice of life. Yeah. It might be boring for some because it is uh, kind of a slow burn, you know, until it gets to the final showdown with that snake thing. The snake thing. A snake. <laughs> it's not like it's a creature that's half man, half snake. You know that weird snake guy thingy? You know? <laughs> that snake thing. Yeah, it's funny. So that's what it is. It, it doesn't have the narrative drive of Stand By Me, but it's also more realistic. Yeah, agreed. So, Predators. This yep. is one time that I'm going to say it. Next episode, Predators. Bye, kids. <laughs> Good night. It's brain worms. Dumb brain. We're dirt farmers. Why is your dad naked? Why would my father deliver newspapers naked? This twerp. Get him out of here.